Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The next swing and a miss. He strikes out the side here in the ninth. Helsley dominant. Bullpen great. Cardinals come back and they win it 5-3. Helsley dominant. Junior Fernandez dominant. Paul Goldschmidt continues to be dominant. And of course, Dakota Hudson is dominant. Welcome everyone into BK and Ferrario. I'm Alex Ferrario. And you know why I'm opening today's show? Because Dakota Hudson is still good. BK, take it away. Are we sure? Yeah, we're damn we sure. sure he's good. We're damn sure he's still good. I know he was good last night for. Let me ask this: Did the Cardinals the win innings. yesterday? They did. They did. And, and this yeah, is the thing. And did Dakota Hudson pitch yesterday? Yeah. Now it wasn't a quality start, but yeah. Doesn't matter. Did he pitch and did they win? Yeah, and he went to like long a good enough pitcher. to get a win. Sounds yeah. like a good pitcher. So, I will give credit where it is due. Dakota Hudson was pretty solid last night, and I, I got a little backlash yesterday. <laughs> Surprise, surprise. Your Twitter account says differently, sir. Um, I got a little backlash yesterday because I said early on in this game that the Cardinals need for a starting pitcher is bigger than just Jack Flaherty's injury. It also is because Dakota Hudson has simply not performed as expected. Now, I should have an extra addendum on this. I judge my expectations for players based on what Alex Ferrario says day to day on this show. That's what you go off of? And Ferrario believes that Dakota Hudson was going to be a number two starter for the Cardinals. He ain't that. Like, we can all agree, this guy is not a number two starter. He's not a top two starter. He frankly is not a top three starter on a winning team. And that's where I think I deviate from some in the analysis of his performance last night. If you view Dakota Hudson as nothing more than a fourth or fifth starter, probably a five, let's be honest. Yesterday was a really good start. It was. If you view him as needing to be more than that, which right now the Cardinals do, they actually do need him. He slots right now as a three starter for them. That was not good enough. You need more out of your number three starter, not just for now, but also when you get into the playoffs. And so that's where I'm having a really tough time with evaluating where we are on Dakota Hudson. Can he be in your rotation when he pitches like that? Absolutely. Can he be a number three starter for you going into the playoffs where he slots in behind Wayno and and Michaelis? No, you you can't have that guy be your third best starter on your roster. And see, this is where you and I are going to fight. I, I mean, argue because... Well, fine. <laughs> cool. Like, how do you guys label a number three starter? Because I think right now it's pretty clear. Your number one starter is Miles Michaelis. 
for the way that he has pitched this season, yeah. he is a number one guy. I agree. Adam Wainwright this season, who's sitting with a 3.07 ERA, which I know people don't like ERA, but when you look at how he's pitched and the amount of innings he's pitched, he's a number two for you. Mm-hmm. Dakota Hudson is right below that tier of Adam Wainwright. Now, I know he's throwing a lot of balls and he's walking guys and some games he's not giving you a whole lot of innings, but he's better than Steven Matz has been in this portion of the season. He's better than what Jordan Hicks was when you put him into the rotation and he's better than what Jack Flaherty's been this season. Agreed. He's a number three starter for you by necessity. Like somebody has to hit fourth in the lineup. But for the Cincinnati Reds this season, you go anywhere. Somebody has to slot in as the Chicago Cubs number two starter. That doesn't mean they're a number two. If you go look at number three starters in rotations for other teams, I would almost guarantee they're close to what Dakota Hudson is. Not the good ones. Not the good ones, man. You look at what the the Braves have, for example. Whether you want to call it Spencer Strider or Charlie Morton, those guys are better than what you have right now as your number three starter. You look over at what the New York Mets have. Chris Bassett, probably, right now. Okay, well, the would Mets be their don't count because starter. they can throw money at everything. I, I hear you, but, I mean, these are the teams that you're going to face off against in the playoffs. Carlos Rodon right now is the San Francisco Giants' number three starter. He's significantly but better Dakota than Hudson's what you have. But better than Charlie Morton this season. I mean, they both throw 80 innings. Or, yeah, 80 innings. If anybody wants to say right now that Charlie Morton is not as good as Dakota Hudson, I don't know what to tell you. Like if we're just looking at ERA, that is 100% true so far this season. But if you go into a playoff game and you have Dakota Hudson and they have Charlie Morton, they have won that pitching matchup in terms of like who you go into that game expecting more from. So I, I, I would take them. And by the way, their bullpen's better than what you have right now as well. You go over to the Dodgers, Julio Urias, when their team is at its best, probably their number three starter. Like you just, you have a weakness right now in that third spot, comparatively speaking. Again, Dakota Hudson is fine. I just don't think that we need to ask him to be anything more than that because he's not, and that's okay. He can be a really good number five starter who probably ends up kicking back into the bullpen whenever you go into the playoffs. That That's where I'm at on Dakota Hudson right now. He's fine. He's not, he's not hurting you. When he pitches the way that he did last night and he mostly keeps it in the zone for the entirety of the night, you can win with that guy. I, I do not think you go into a playoff series with him as your number three starter feeling good about your, your rotation. Do, do you do you disagree with that? In a playoff series, I don't want him to be in my top three. If he has to, I, I think you're you're not seriously competing for a world series. I'll say so that then we agree this season though. I, I, I think this is a process with Dakota Hudson. See, I think this is Hudson because yeah, he's been around. Okay. He's been around for, I, I understand he only got, what was it? Two innings pitched last year or sorry, eight and two thirds, but it was only two games. I mean, he's been around. This is his third technical full season counting 2020 because he was there and then he got hurt. But this is his third full season. I think this is what Dakota Hudson is. Look, I think he could be a three in a playoff rotation. And when I say that, I'm not saying I'm going to feel like not have the tight butt cheeks about it, but I, I think you'd be fine with Hudson as a number three. Honestly, I think he matches up fairly well against Charlie Morton. I mean, Alex brought up the numbers. The numbers favor an ER in terms of ERA, Dakota Hudson. I also Hudson. think the Braves, for the what walks, it's worth, need to go out there and add another starter. So, like, if Yeah, I agree. But, like, if just comparing those two, I mean, he's only he's got just a little bit less in terms of just 
the pure amount of walks that he has does Charlie Morton. You look at the baseball savant page for Charlie Morton, it ain't anything that stands out to me differently. I think Hudson's like the perfect, the average number three starter. He's not anything that is going to stand out on a page. Look, I think you do need three really good number three starters. Let's say their number three starter is Kyle Wright. Maybe I picked the wrong guy, and we can go with him because Kyle Wright so far this season for them has a 3.1 ERA. So you can say whoever you want it to be. The number three starter for the Braves is going to out going into it. And again, in any individual game, Dakota Hudson could be better than whoever their number three starter is. But the, the Braves would have the the better performer going in, or at least they would be expected to have the better pitcher going into that. That That's where I'm at. And so, Alex, I actually think we mostly agree on this. I, I think long term, our views on Dakota Hudson might not align. And that's okay. But for this year, the reason why I believe that the Cardinals right now need to go out and acquire a starter, not necessarily today, but before the trade deadline, is because I can't expect anything out of Jack Flaherty at this point. I don't know what he's going to be for you. And I don't know that they're going to have a firm idea of what that is prior to the deadline because he's already out for the next 15 days. So that means you're taking yourself up until at a minimum mid-July. He maybe gets two or three starts going into the trade deadline. You're not going to know what he really is by that time. So you got to add more talent to supplement the staff because I don't think that Dakota Hudson should be starting playoff games as your number three starter going in. And that's where he slots right now. Somebody on the text line said he's been better than Steven Matz. I agree. Steven Matz probably number four. And that's kind of what we talked about in the offseason. You're getting Steven Matz to consistently give you five, maybe six innings of strong starts. You signed him for the certainty of what he brings. Liberator could provide something similar. You just don't know. But right now, Steven Matz has already been that guy for the vast majority of his career. I think um, the thing for me with Dakota Hudson and ton of texts on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, which I fully expected for me to stick to hockey and I'm fanboying over Dakota Hudson, whatever it might be. And I understand this was three years ago when he was a rookie, but I remember watching those outings by Dakota Hudson. And the guy was inducing the ground balls. Yeah, he was still walking guys, but he looked like somebody that you can count on. And I heard him talk last night after the game talking about how this is a process. And that's what I always seem to fall back to. Kind of went to the shop with everything this this time through um, between the last one and this one. Um, um, Mike Maddox found a... um, kind of a mechanical cue for me and then we were able to kind of sit down and see that uh the release point was um more consistent in a certain height level so i kind of took that and and ran with it through the through the bullpen and this uh time through and it shaped up for me uh seemed like a pretty seamless adjustment but big for me overall i think when you have the tommy john surgery and you've pitched eight and two-thirds innings since 2020 and this might all be me making excuses i'm not sure but I do think that there's a process. We've seen signs of Dakota Hudson this season that have been legit. Oh, wow, this guy does have the stuff, despite the advanced analytics showing that he's not pitching well. But then we've it's also not advanced analytics for what it's worth. He, he's walking a bunch of dudes. That's but, not an advanced. <laughs> but then we've once also, again, leading Major League Baseball in walks. Yeah, but then like, we've also seen the outcome on the other side of things like last night. So I just, I, I don't know. I feel like Dakota Hudson is a guy that is just going through that first seat, first full season back after a Tommy John surgery. See, I, I would agree with that, except for he's leading Major League Baseball in walks again. And that was the issue in 2019. And I remember this being what Dakota Hudson was in 2019, where it was, there were the games where you look at it and you go, wow, he looks really good. But then there were the games where he was walking a ton of guys, and he is, and 
he is John Gant, except he has stuff that plays in the zone. And John Gant just never have yeah. had movement on his pitches. Uh, Hudson's super talented. There, I, I there's like, no disagreement look, I there. I like Hudson here in St. Louis as a starting pitcher. I kind of agree that he's probably at best a number four for you in a playoff rotation. Uh, but he's not a guy that I'm trading to replace. I think he's a good, solid starter for you. And look, the only reason we're talking about it today is because, look, that was a perfect outing from Dakota Hudson last night. You had the bullpen reinforcements. All you were asking for was him to give you five to six innings, give up around three runs so you had a fighting chance. He did his job last night. He had the bullpen reinforcements ready for him. If you were lacking the bullpen reinforcements like that game when uh, Wayno started in game one of the series, Hudson is not pulled after that leadoff walk in the sixth inning. Hudson's asked to go through six innings. So it's not much. It just depends on the situation in which you're having these conversations on Dakota Hudson. His next start, if the bullpen is gassed, yeah, you need a lot from Dakota Hudson. But he is a perfectly number four starter for the St. Louis Cardinals and there's no need to replace him there's just a need to kind of upgrade so you have a better rotation when it comes to the playoffs yeah I'm with all but with both of you guys on this like for me I, I love Dakota Hudson and I think he's a a perfect asset to this rotation but we shouldn't be arguing over him being a, a three or a four you got to go out there and make a trade so he's not a three yeah <laughs> I think we're on the same page yeah I, I, I think Dakota Hudson is super talented I think that I would like him to throw it in the zone more often. His walk rate was 15% in 2018. It was uh, 12% in 2019. It's back to 11% this year. So it's in line with what it's been every time when he gets significant opportunities uh, in the big league level. This is who he is. He doesn't throw a whole lot of strikes. He walks more guys than you would like to see. But when he induces contact, it's it's not good. It is like you go over to the advanced numbers. They're never going to like a pitcher like this because he pitches to so much contact. And when you have the ball in play a lot, you have something like the fourth inning where it can go awry sometimes or third inning, whatever it was last night. And and that happens. And that's okay. You you don't need this guy to be the second coming of Cy Young. Uh, Nobody was expecting him to be that. But when you do pitch the way that Dakota Hudson does, if you are walking guys at the rate that he has so far this year, it can burn you from time to time. And that's why going into the playoffs, I, I wouldn't want him to be a top three starter for me. So what we saw last night, I'm totally with you guys. If our expectation is four or five starter in the rotation, that was great. That's exactly what you need from Dakota Hudson. And the one walk last night, that was the most encouraging sign of it all. He threw more strikes. He was playing at a faster tempo than we've seen lately. That was a much better version of Dakota Hudson. I I think the the, the talking point is the, the second part of it, where we get to, okay, that was good. What does it mean for your rotation? It means that he's he's going to continue to be a part of it. And I'm not sure as of a week ago, that was as much of a sure thing as it is today. Because when Jack Flaherty was on his way back from the mend and you still had Palante in the rotation, I think their plan was to take Dakota Hudson out of the rotation. I think their plan was for Palante to keep that fifth spot whenever Steven Matz returned and for Dakota Hudson to no longer be a part of it. I, I agree with that. I do think they were going to take Hudson out of the rotation when they got Matt's back. Now, I, I will say this. I don't think that all the pressure should be on Dakota Hudson while Jack Flaherty is out, that he needs to be the number three starter. I think it is, as I mentioned with Hudson and how he goes five innings last night, I think it's situational. I think the pressure is spread out among 
Hudson, Palante, and right now I'm assuming Libertor is going to be the number five guy. And when I say it's spread out, it just depends on the situation going into that game. Tonight, the bullpen is going to be a little bit less. Gallegos and Helsley, they may not be available. Fernandez is definitely not available. So the bullpen is a little bit shorter tonight. That means there's more pressure on Palante as the starter to make sure that he can eat up some good innings, quality innings for you. Tonight, honestly, six is probably the goal for Palante. Normally, it would be five. Tonight, it is probably six. In the next start for Dakota Hudson, it could be the same thing. It could be six innings for Dakota Hudson. For Matthew Libertor, it could be just get me five innings. It depends on how full strength the bullpen is in terms of their rest. So I don't think it's just pressure is on Dakota Hudson. I think the pressure is spread out evenly amongst the three guys that are covering the back end of this rotation because they are all the categorical four slash five starter. And that way you're not asking each and one of the individuals to take on the full brunt of, hey, you're the number three. I think all three of these guys, depending on when they start, that's going to be what they need to be. Tonight, Palante needs to be a number three starter. And that's a lot to ask for a rookie that's been playing the Swiss Army knife roll coming out of a bullpen. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show. Coming up at 1145, we will do questions and answers. If you have any questions for us, feel free to send them in on the Air Comfort Service text line throughout the show today. At 1130, I'm always happy to have our friend Darren Drager of TSN. I think he's one of the best NHL insiders in the country. We'll get his thoughts on what he's expecting this offseason from the Blues. But coming up next... Paul Goldschmidt has been unbelievable for the Cardinals so far this season. It's very rare for a team to have a legit MVP candidate. The Cardinals just don't just have a candidate right now. They've got the guy that is clearly the leader in the clubhouse. What does that mean for him? What does that mean for his legacy here in St. Louis if he's able to achieve that this year? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. for Paul Goldschmidt so far. He is currently on pace on the season for 50 doubles, 40 homers, 200 hits, and more than 135 RBIs. That puts you on pace to be the league MVP. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, I was thinking about this last night because we've, I think we've used every adjective possible to be able to describe what we've seen so far this year. It's nothing short of miraculous. It's it's unbelievable, honestly, watching it every night. You expect him to get a hit when he goes to the play. Right now, he leads Major League Baseball in batting average, on base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, total bases, every offensive statistical category. He's basically the best in baseball so far this year. So I, I thought to myself, all right, when you look back at the guys that have won MVP for the Cardinals in, in recent memory, right, the last couple of generations, it's basically Willie McGee and Albert Pujols. In the last 40 years, they're the only two to do it. Albert did it three times, and then the Willie McGee had it in uh, an unbelievable season for him. Alex, whenever you talk to anybody that is like our parents' age, right? Their favorite player growing up, a lot of them, was Willie McGee. I mean, you see the ovation whenever he comes out on opening day. He's the guy that gets the loudest ovation every year, it seems like. Mm-hmm. If you talk to anybody around our age, their favorite player growing up was Albert Pujols. And now we're about to see potentially 
the next guy in line that can win NL MVP. Are we watching essentially the the modern day equivalent of what Willie McGee did and what Albert Pools did? Is is that what this is? I feel like, and I can't speak as much to Willie McGee like you just mentioned because I wasn't around then, but I feel like what we're seeing with Albert or with Paul Goldschmidt's season this year is what we're seeing in the past from Albert Pujols' season. And the way I measure that is I'm officially to the point now where every time Paul Goldschmidt comes to the plate, I stop what I'm doing. And I did that for a long period of time in Albert Pujols' career in St. Louis because you were expecting not just to hit, but you were expecting a home run. And Paul Goldschmidt's not that caliber of where he steps to the plate and you're expecting a home run every time. Although I would say he's close. What's he at? 16 home runs? 19. He's, he's almost, so he's going to hit 20 before the All-Star break. That's fascinating. But I do feel like that Paul Goldschmidt has entered that category for me to where you're talking about a unanimous MVP in the National League, especially with the other guys that are competing with him all are injured right now. But you're also talking about a guy that you're expecting some type of big moment in the game for at-bats a game for Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, he, he is much must-watch television. I mean, he, he's unbelievable. I mean, he's able to hit the ball to all... Uh, all places on the field. He's got the power. He's got. He's just the smarts on base running. I mean, I think it was. I think it was over the weekend, if I'm not mistaken, where he there was a base hit in the left field and Goldschmidt goes from first yeah. to third. I mean, that's, that's just awesome. unheard of. I mean, you don't you don't see that kind of smarts base running wise. Like I just assumed he was at second base, and I can't even imagine what the left fielder's reaction was when he saw Goldie was like halfway to third base at the time. And he's just solid defensively. I, he has one error on the year, and it happened I think over the weekend, if I'm not mistaken. And he's just he plays unbelievable baseball I mean you just see his baseball smarts the play over the weekend against Chicago where he gets a line drive to him he drops it uh, and then he's able to realize while he's on his way to first base okay I have to tag Contreras first and then I can step on the bag and get the double play a lot of guys aren't able to make that play happen because the game speeds up on him Goldschmidt's able to slow the game down and it's it's funny to think back on when Goldie had his first year here in St. Louis when he came it was if you take a look at like batting average and like on base it's it's one of the worst years he had and he hit 260 I remember us talking heading into the I believe it was 2020 season where it was like okay Goldie's better than a 260 hitter what what went wrong for Goldschmidt and since then 304 average and he had an 883 OPS the next year 879 OPS hit 294 and now you look at him it almost looks like you're watching a broken player on MLB the show with cheat codes and stuff so Paul Goldschmidt's been unbelievable and definitely the favorite for the MVP and it does remind me a lot when Albert was in his prime here in St. Louis. Someone just brought this up on the text line and I apologize if one of you said it because I was just looking for it. How many double plays has he hit into this season? Three. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, it helps that the guys that have been hitting in front of him have mostly been guys with a good amount of speed. It's either stealing now bases. It's, it's Nolan Gorman a good amount of the time. And Gorman is athletic. I, I think, honestly, we didn't give him enough credit for how athletic he is. But um, he's he's not a he's not like Tommy Edmond or Brendan Donovan or Harrison Bader or anything like that. Um, so it, it's been impressive. Yeah. Everything that you can do as a baseball player to impact winning. That's what Paul Goldschmidt has done so far this year for the Cardinals. And I was talking to a buddy about this last night, and I'm sure that there's going to be people on the text line to get mad at me for saying this, but here we go. Um, <laughs> Sorry. They're already well, mad at me with Dakota Hudson. I, I've always said this about Mike Trout, Mike Trout for, for the most part. Now he, there are exceptions to this rule, but for the most part, if you just watch individual plays from Trout, it's not going to take your breath away. It's not something where you watch him. You're like, that's a unicorn. I've never seen anything quite like that before. Meanwhile, you watch Shohei Otani. It's like, holy cow. That is, that is different. Aaron judge, Tatis, like 
there's just something about them that are like, this is the Giannis Antetokounmpo of Major League Baseball, where I've never seen anything that looks like that, that runs that quickly, uh, that hits the ball that far, all of those different things, right? Mike Trout's just excellent at everything. He's an excellent base runner. He's an excellent defender. He hits for power. He has a crazy on-base percentage. He previously, prior to the last couple of years, really never struck out. Everything that you could want a baseball player to do, Mike Trout does. That's Paul Goldschmidt. And so I think what makes it unique for us who watch it on a night-to-night basis and our listeners is that he does everything. If you need a guy that's going to be a gold glove defender at first, he's got you. He he saves so many errors mm-hmm. defensively from other guys. It's not just that, like Tanner said, he only has one error on the season for himself. He has saved probably five or ten from other guys because of the way that he's able to pick it at first. If you need a guy to run the, uh, move the runner over, he's got you. You need a guy, like Tanner said, to go first to third, he can do that. He's got three stolen bases on this season. He had two, 12 last year. Everything that impacts winning, Paul Goldschmidt does. And by the way, he's an excellent guy in the clubhouse as well. We were watching him work with Nolan Gorman the other day. I'm not sure exactly what they were doing. It was either defense or base running. It was hard to tell uh, based on our perspective from first base. I think it was working on something about uh, defending the bag at first. Everything that you could want a player to do, he does. And that's what makes it so fun for us to watch on a night-to-night basis right now is that you get to really appreciate it in a different way. When you see it every single night, people that come in for one night and parachute in like the ESPN broadcasters, they can look at the numbers and they can tell you, okay, yeah, clearly he's having an incredible season. But when you watch it every single day, it almost has an even bigger impact on what you're seeing right now. And I it's think, like Ryan O'Reilly, honestly. That Well, and I was just going to go to that, and I'm so glad you just said that because the other element that you look at when it comes to that is the amount of people that are around Paul Goldschmidt before games. Nolan Gorman was working with him at first base when we were down there on Monday. Albert Pujols and Paul Goldschmidt were both working out at first base before the game. I've seen Brennan Donovan out there with him before. Like When you see the guys that are surrounding one individual player who's having such a great season and is so impactful, that tells you what type of year that individual is having. And someone on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780 said, chill out, MVPs are one in the second half. Not saying he's going to fall off, but there's a long way to go. That's what, in my opinion, is more impressive about Paul Goldschmidt. (laughs) This is when he looks like, well, Paul Goldschmidt isn't any good anymore. The second half is when Paul Goldschmidt looks like an MVP. So what do you think is going to happen in the next three months of Paul Goldschmidt's season? Yeah, and who knows, right? Like, he could fall off. And falling off doesn't mean bad. Just like it could mean he's just he'd a, just be hitting three ten. <laughs> could mean he's just deal. a good player. But right now, you look over at the the FanDuel sportsbook odds, for example. Paul Goldschmidt is plus one fifteen to win MVP. So what that means is you could bet a hundred dollars, and all you win on a future bet, which is typically longer odds, is one hundred and fifteen dollars. For perspective, that's essentially the same as Aaron Judge in the American League, and Aaron Judge is lapping the field right now with what he's doing compared to the rest of the league. Like that's where we're at. Where we're at right now is that Paul Goldschmidt and Aaron Judge are so much better than every other player on the face of the universe that it's just like, yeah, you could bet on them to win the MVP, but honestly, it's not even worth you betting on them because you don't win enough money to make it worth your while. Especially because the National League also, all these guys are hurt. Mookie Betts, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. So, I, I mean, this is a Paul Goldschmidt season, even on top of the fact that he's outperforming these guys, but the injuries add into this conversation. And I'm so happy for him because, man, this is the only thing that's really missing from his resume. Remember when we talked to mm-hmm. Jeff Pass and he was like, hey, you know, the two things that are missing from his resume, one from a personal perspective and two from a team perspective is he doesn't have that MVP. He doesn't have the World Series. 
And this year could give him that those personal accolades that he's been looking for. And then on the team front, when you have a guy that is playing like this, and so you have the front runner right now for MVP, you've got like three legitimate rookie of the year candidates. I heard the, the fast lane talking about this last night as well. You you have to invest in that team. And this goes back to our first conversation to open up the show today, which is I, I like Dakota Hudson fine as a back end starter. But you have to reinforce that rotation when you've got guys like this and you've got Albert Pools on his way out. We don't know what the future holds for Adam Wainwright. I think he'll be back next year, but who knows? Uh, Yadier Molina coming back at some point. You've caught lightning in the bottle. Everything about this team screams, this is a really good squad. They're missing one thing, and we can all see it. We can all see it from the outside looking in. We thought it was going to be Jack Flaherty. That that doesn't appear to be the case, at least not right now. You got to go get that guy. I don't know who it is. I don't know what it's going to take to reinforce it. It's tough. It's like me, like the meme of the guy that's like poking at something saying, do something. That's how I feel watching the Cardinals right now because they're they're one piece away. It, it really does feel like they're one piece away and they could get that piece at the trade deadline. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. But next, Darren Drager's a TSN NHL insider. I think he's the best in the country at what he does. Really the best in North America because he's up in Canada. We'll talk to him next about what he expects the Blues to do this offseason and when the trade talks could start heating up. Darren Drager next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. We are always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend TSN's hockey insider and host of the Ray and Dregs podcast. He is Darren Drager joining us here on the show. Uh, Darren, we appreciate the time as always. I think the place where I want to begin with you, if you don't mind, is is with David Perron, who is clearly the top priority for the Blues this offseason. Does it feel inevitable to you? that David Perron will end up signing an extension here in St. Louis? Yeah, it does. I mean, there's no guarantee, obviously, until you have an agreement and you get pen to paper. But I think because you look back on David Perron's career, what has been always evident is his best is in St. Louis, right? And he's at a place in his career now where, you know, he's past the back nine and he's he's just looking to close out on a team that has a chance to win. And when I look at the St. Louis Blues, I see that. I mean, the St. Louis Blues are going to be a contending team. So he's happy there. His family's happy there. Um, you know, as long as the, the the expectation is reasonable from both sides, then I don't see why David Perron would risk, you know, leaving St. Louis and, and going elsewhere just simply because there might be an extra year or a little bit more money. Darren, I'm on the same page as you. Like I go into this upcoming season looking at the Western Conference, and I think Colorado, of course, is going to be at the top because of them winning the Stanley Cup and the players that they have. But I put the Blues right there with Colorado or maybe the step below them with the roster that they have in place. I guess my question is, do you feel like moves this offseason are necessary for Doug Armstrong to make this team a legit Stanley Cup contender? No, I don't think they're necessary, but I mean, there's some obvious parts of, of the, the team that Doug is going to have to pay attention to, you know, uh, and you got to start in goal, don't you, with Billy Huso and the uncertainty there. I know that the St. Louis Blues like the tandem that they have in Bennington and Huso, but can they afford to have both guys? Well, probably not. When you look at what Billy Huso might command, 
uh, on the market. Yeah, I know that there's probably up to 10 teams with considerable interest in him. So how much is Armstrong going to have to invest in you so to keep him in, in the fold? And then what does that mean for Jordan Bennington? You know, we've, we've seen repeatedly how you have to have a premium in gold. Now, Colorado didn't necessarily have that in Darcy Kemper, but Kemper was good. He was as good as he, he needed to be. And then you look at some of the other areas that may or may not need to get addressed. One thing we know is Doug Armstrong is shrewd, and he is aggressive when he needs to be aggressive. So if he and, and Greg Berube see a weakness in their lineup, then it's it's going to get addressed. We know it's going to get addressed. And, I guys, I'll tell you right now, I keep hearing um, a little bit throughout the Stanley Cup final, but now that the Stanley Cup has been awarded, in the last two days I've heard uh, from managers, from player agents, the expectation that the next several days is going to be wild on the trade front, et cetera. So uh, I think everybody needs to buckle up. I'm not hearing anything specific to the Blues but, again, knowing the experience of Doug Armstrong, if there's a fit out there that he knows is going to make his club better, maybe loosen things up a little bit from a cap perspective, then he'll be in that game too. And, Darren, here in St. Louis, of course, at the deadline, they decided to acquire Nick Letty to bolster that blue line. And it seems like uh, that's the big issue going into the offseason as well, is finding somebody that can play on the left side with Colton Pareko. And we've we've tried to find the match in free agency. There just doesn't seem to be a great one uh, that they wouldn't have to pay crazy money for. As you look at the potential uh, trade market for left-handed defensemen, are there guys that make sense to you there? You know, I'm looking at Jake Chikrin in the Arizona Coyotes organization, right? And and he's versatile. He can play either side. Um, but I was reminded of that with a call that I received an hour ago. Um, and, you know, you get cost certainty in Jacob Chikrin. Uh, and, you know, he, he fits an age dynamic that you're, you're happy with, you can live with. And, and he's a good player on top of all those things. Uh, look, there's, there's going to be some maneuvering, but what we always know is that there is a premium puck price paid for quality defense, right? Either through free agency or certainly through trade. But Chickering's name is a name that we're all going to have to watch. And I think historically, you know, St. Louis is among the teams that has expressed some interest in Chickering. With that being said, Darren, one player that I brought up yesterday on our show that I'm more curious what happens, and it would be interesting, but it's Nicholas Haig with the Vegas Golden Knights. He's 23. It's hard to imagine that Vegas would trade a player like this, but when you look at the landscape, one of their cap problems and two of, I guess, the players that they have locked up, is this a possibility at all? Well, I'm not going to say 100% no, it's not happening. Because you get yourself in trouble in my business when you when you uh, <laughs> declare certainties. Um, but I can tell you, as soon as that was suggested and reported, um, what I got back was uh, it's ridiculous, right? And for everything that you just said, I mean, Nick Hague is a good young player, and the the, the Vegas Golden Knights are trying to sh- you know trim payroll. Well, you're not going to do it with a young player that makes sense and is paid appropriately and, and accordingly. So it, it feels like a stretch to me. I was told by somebody within the organization it's not happening. But again, you know, let's let's see what the Vegas Golden Knights look like <laughs> when they open training camp and they drop the puck next season. 
Darren Drager is our guest for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Darren, you know, when you come on in St. Louis, of course, you're going to be asked the Matthew Kachuk <laughs> question. Uh, we, we got six minutes in before we got there. What is what, what are you hearing on what the Flames plans are going into free agency? Of course, the Johnny Goudreau portion of this is huge. But then d- depending on yeah. that, what does that mean for Kachuk? Yeah, I mean, Calgary keeps saying the same thing, that they want to keep them both. Uh, I'm not sure how they can do that, you know, just given the cap implications there. I mean, they'd have to bite down in other areas of the roster. You know, Matthew Kachuk keeps saying the same things privately anyway, that, you know, uh, he wants to stay long-term in Calgary, but, you know, he likes the idea of staying long-term in Calgary with Johnny Goudreau. If if they don't find uh, a, a, a place of happiness with the Goudreau camp, then maybe that completely steers what they do with uh, with Matthew Kachuk, right? I mean, that would make a, a lot of sense. I I won't say that the Flames are frustrated, but I can tell you that they're eager to learn what direction the Johnny Goudreau camp really want this to go. You know, are they 100% certain that they are testing the market? And if they are, well, maybe that puts the, the Calgary Flames management and ownership in a different position, right? If they feel like they've made their best attempt to sign Goudreau and he still wants to go to the open market, well, you know, then maybe they, they flip things over to the Kachuk camp and say, all right, well, let's get going on a long-term contract. Those two, for me, it's impossible to disconnect and separate Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau because, you know, I think one definitely applies to the other, probably more so from Kachuk's perspective than Goudreau because Goudreau is clearly a pending unrestricted free agent. Uh, when people bring up the name of Matthew Kachuk, Darren, they also bring up the name of Vladimir Tarasenko because the Blues couldn't acquire a Kachuk and keep a Tarasenko. And, of course, we all know what took yeah. place last off season, how great of a season that he had. Have you heard anything on the Vladdy front in terms of this upcoming off season? No, nothing. No, I haven't. But in fairness, I, I haven't asked, and, and largely because of the season that he had. And, you know, we, we've been down this road before where it sounded, seemed likely that Tarasenko wasn't coming back to the St. Louis Blues. And we know that Doug Armstrong and the Blues expressed interest in trading him. Um, you know, there was concern around the National Hockey League based on contract, what sort of fit he would be. Um, they didn't get the right deal, the deal that they needed. And so, you know, the two sides found a way to, to mend fence. And the player played up to his potential, and the club is is happy about that. So I I think that, you know, at this stage, it seems likely that, you know, the the relationship has been repaired and everybody just continues the way that it went this past season. But you you just don't know. But it's been quiet on that front as far as I know, but I haven't really kicked tires specifically on Tarasenko. Darren, I'm not sure how much you know about him, but, I mean, he spent a lot of time in the Montreal Canadiens organization before this season. If Ville Husso doesn't get re-signed by the Blues, is Charlie Lindgren a realistic opportunity as a backup for St. Louis? I mean, it could be for sure. Um, you know, that's another name that's out there, and, and people have been talking about in, in in general sort of terms. Yeah, I mean, why not? You know, give them an opportunity. They know him well. Uh, and you, you hope that, that Jordan Bennington can just put a healthy and consistent season together. But gone are the days, and now I'm, I'm thinking about Minnesota as I'm speaking out loud here, where you've got the perfect tandem. And the reason I think that of Minnesota is because I know that they're going to engage very quickly with Marc-Andre Fleury. And they love the idea of Flurry and Talbot staying together with the Minnesota Wild. So 
anytime you've got the one and the one A, then you're in pretty good shape. But you bring in Charlie Lindgren, who's the one and who's the one A? I mean, that's that's going to be dependent on Jordan Bennington and how he springs out of the gate at the beginning of the year. Hey, Darren, we're going to be paying attention. We'll certainly be following all of your work. Thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us today. We always appreciate it, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, you bet, guys. Thanks for having me. That's Darren Drager, joins us regularly throughout the NHL season, then, of course, into the offseason as well. Always appreciate his time. Follow him on Twitter at his name, at Darren Drager. Alex, I think the big thing there, of course, uh, for you, for our for our listeners, based on what we talked about yesterday, is he basically said, nope, you're not going to be able to get our guy, Nicholas Haig. He literally said it before I finished yep. the question, <laughs> so I, I guess I shouldn't have said it. I still think it's going to happen. Nobody thought Pavel Buchnevich would happen, and look what happened. Touche. Nobody uh, thought Arenado would happen, and look what happened. I did find it interesting. He said that the trade talks are starting to heat up. Like right now is kind of when we're getting into that mode. We're what a week and a half away at this point the from seventh. the uh, from the NHL draft. I guess almost t- uh, tomorrow would be one week away. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, mostly because I think teams really want to have an idea. If they're making those hockey trades, they want to have an idea of what draft picks they have for this draft so that they can have that you know mock draft board to know who they're going to select and when they're going to select. And, I mean, there's some, there's some big-time trades that have been discussed. I mean, does the David Pasternak thing get figured out before the draft? Does Matthew Kachuk? I don't think the Matthew Kachuk thing gets resolved because Johnny Goudreau is going to have to get locked up first. First day of free agency is the 13th. Is that correct? Yeah. July 13th. Yeah. So that, man, I I wonder if they have a public, not a public, a private acknowledgement from Johnny Goudreau by the draft of I'm going to test the market. Because then you could trade his rights if he doesn't. Like if he doesn't want to stay in Calgary, you can trade his rights and get something for him. And if you're the Flames and he tells you I'm testing the market, doesn't that essentially mean I'm leaving? Like I know that doesn't always indicate yeah, it. Yeah, not but- always because and and I don't know how this goes with Calgary and Goudreau, but it's happened in the past where you kind of have that handshake agreement where it's like, look, I'm going to go test free agency, but I'll come back to you and give you what my best offer is to see if you want to match it. I feel like he knows that already. And now I know that they're not supposed to and the tampering and all that different stuff. Like, listen, we, we're yeah. all grown adults. We know how this works. Like, they can do through their back channels. They've got an idea of what the offers are going to be out there. But it's kind of the butterfly effect, right? Like, one thing's going to affect the other. If Goudreau says, I'm going to test the free agent market, I'll still come back to you, but I'm going to test it. Calgary's going to think, okay, well, he's gone because this is our best and offer. that's why I brought it up. Let's go to Matthew. And and I said a couple of weeks ago to you that I think if Goudreau gets locked up, Matthew Kachuk gets traded. I think it's the opposite now. From everything we've heard and talking with uh, Duhachik a couple of weeks ago and now Dreger, I think it actually is the opposite where if Goudreau says, I'm going elsewhere... Kachuk's not going to tell them I'm staying in Calgary. I think they have to say at that point, like we can't lose both of these guys for nothing in back-to-back years. If you if you're the Flames and you lose Johnny Goudreau, who was your franchise player, for nothing this offseason. Now they they needed to do this because they had a really good team and they were trying to win a cup. And when you're in a cup window, you go for it, and they did. But if if you lose him now and then you risk next offseason, if Kachuk says, ah, well, let's play this year to year. 
You can't do no. it, I don't think, if, you, if you're the Flames. You have to get whatever is the greatest offer possible. And then you go to the trade offseason. deadline next year, and your offer's probably less than Definitely. what it would be in the offseason. So, yeah, that's going to be intriguing. And I, I truly think the Jacob Chikrin thing gets solved because if you're Bill Armstrong, you want as many draft picks as possible for this upcoming draft. He's already got a lot, but I think he'll want more. I think Chikrin gets done before the draft or at the draft. I'm going to ask Chris Kerber about that coming up at 12:15. I want to get his thoughts on this trade market because if it is really heating up and we just had one of the best insiders in the country tell us that it is over the next couple of days this stuff's going to start getting more real we got to ask curbs about it we, we got to ask what his thoughts are on the jacob chikrin situation and whether or not he thinks something gets resolved by next week we'll do that coming up at 12 15 coming up next let's get some of your questions 65780 is your comfort service text line here on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, coming up in about 20 minutes or so. But right now, we'll get to some of your questions. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, what's your alternative plan for the blues if Matthew Kachuk does not sign in St. Louis or get traded to St. Louis? Alternative plan? Didn't I say 95% Kachuk was coming to St. Louis? Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know if you need an alternative plan. Like, I think this is more of a luxury. Like, if Matthew Kachuk falls into your lap, you jump on it. But if Matthew Kachuk doesn't, well, then you stay the course. You've got all of these guys who have scored goals for you. You've got Jake Nayers coming up. You've got another year of Jordan Cairo. I think Matthew Kachuk is just a luxury. And if it doesn't happen and Vladdy doesn't re-sign after next season... Well, then you go into the free agent market and you see if there's somebody out there that you can sign or you go make another big trade like you did for Pavel Buchnevich. There's always going to be another Pavel Buchnevich, Braden Shin, like the the next guy that Doug Armstrong looks to acquire. There's always going to be somebody that's available in that realm. Heck, sign Nathan McKinnon next offseason if you can't get Kachuk. Oh, yeah. Maybe they trade for uh, Gabriel Landeskog. He's just starting that new deal. That's right. He got his cup. He's got everything he asked for in in Colorado. I mean, they can only sign so many guys. Maybe Edmonton gets sick of Kachuk. Connor McDavid. You send him Cairo. Or McDavid gets tired of Edmonton. <laughs> Are you exclusively reporting? No. <laughs> that was the chuckle I feel at the like, end let's of it. be realistic. It's probably dry saddle that's more likely. Yeah, probably. I don't know. 65780 from the 314 guys out of the three of you who is the best athlete honestly none of us are none particularly us. athletic let's just like let's not fight over each other we all suck yeah n- none of us are good T-Bone got a scholarship even, i can't too. even say by the way only i saw this great statistic only seven percent of people get to go play a sport in college yeah, I, I don't Hashtag think they're talking about Louis. Was, that, was that a D1 or oh, a community it college? It did include Juco, you son of a... Oh, I can't even talk to I you. I mean, I probably could have got on at Merrimack for something. Uh, from the 618 no. of the three <laughs> interdivision options, who would you like to fill the Cardinals pitching void? Castillo, Malley, or Quintana? I, don't I mean, if, if you told me that I could just have one of them, yeah. I'm going to take Castillo, but obviously you have to take into account what it's going to cost to acquire them. Of those three, I would go the middle option. Yeah. I would go uh, Mally. I don't want the last option. I, 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 I mean, you're really hoping to find 
something from a player who has struggled over the last five seasons. So, yeah, I would probably say Malley because I don't think he's going to cost you as much. Yeah, I think I'd go Malley as well. He's been. He's got more control, right? Two over Castillo. I think it's a one-year deal. I'll check. I thought it was a one-year deal as well. I could be wrong, but yeah, one-year, five point two million. And he's been he's been fine. He's got arbitration next year, so he he does have one more year of control. Yeah, he's been fine for the Reds, and if you get him in more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark, honestly, his numbers probably look a little bit better. I mean, he's basically pitching at one of the hitter-friendliest ballparks in uh, what is Cincinnati called? American Field. Great American 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 ballpark. Yeah, exactly. So Malley would definitely be the one for me. I I actually think Malley, like if they acquired him, I I don't think that you need to get excited about it because it's, I mean, it's just Tyler Malley, but he's he's a really solid pitcher. He'd be pretty good for this team. I don't know that he is like a classic number three, but he makes me feel better about the Cardinals rotation. Yeah, he's, he's a really solid starter. So I think they could do a heck of a lot worse. But if we're being totally honest, I don't think they're trading within the no. division uh, from the three, one, four guys. Would you trade one of the Cardinals top five prospects and potentially two to three of their top 20 prospects for Frankie Montes? So your top for those... five prospects for what it's worth. I mean, in all reality, that's probably Matthew Levator is the most likely out of all of them. Yeah. So your top five prospects as listed by MLB.com. These can change depending on where you look, but this is kind of the consensus. Jordan Walker, Nathan, uh, Nolan Gorman, Matthew Libertor, Yvonne Herrera, and Mason Lynn. Those and, are your top five. And top 20, you're talking about uh, Connor Thomas, Luke and Baker, Jonathan Mejia, Angel Rondon, Alec Burleson. Yeah, I would do that. If I, if, I, if I have to give up Matthew Libator, Alec Burleson, and throw in whoever you want in the top 20. Probably a lower level guy. I would do that. I mean, you're getting a legit top three in a rotation. I heard somebody say this. I, I think Bernie wrote this in his column the other day. It's not a matter of should they. It's a matter of will they. Yeah. Like, would I do that trade? Yes. And the guy that I would include is Matthew Liberator. Will yeah. they do that and trade? And will Oakland accept that trade? And because they, they might say, you're top five. We want Walker or Gorman. Yeah. And, which they should, honestly. Like, that should be their starting point. Anybody that's calling the Cardinals, they should start by saying, we want Walker, Gorman, or Wynn. Yeah, because one you, of those you can't see a team and say, well, they want one of your top five prospects. Yeah, they want one of your top five, but they have a list of the top five that they want from you. And if it's not these two, well, they're moving on. Yeah, I I don't think that the Cardinals would do it. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure the A's would, but I, I definitely don't think the Cardinals would. Yeah, I don't think the Cardinals would move on from any of their top five. I, I think outside the top five, like you mentioned, Burleson, Thomas, one of the, like some of those guys, I think they definitely would look to be willing to part with those guys. I, I just don't see them moving with the top five, especially I think as BT said this. Yesterday, if you put Frankie Montas in any other rotation besides Oakland, is he really the ace? No, he's probably like a number two. I at think best. he's what you're looking for. He's, yeah, he's, he's a, a number three. two. For I think you. he's a three. Now, I don't know if I would part with a guy to come in and be the number three, like a Frankie Montas with a top five prospect. I know that's what it's going to cost, but I don't know if I would be willing to do that. Just like the Cardinals wouldn't be willing to do but that. But you're going. But if it's Matthew Libator, you're going for a guy who has MLB experience compared to a guy that you're hoping has MLB experience. Yeah, you're trading for certainty. Yeah. yeah. You're trading for a guy. It's like this offseason, right? Steven Matz, we talked about this earlier today. The reason why you sign him is because you you thought you had a pretty good idea of what he is. And I still think they do. Like, I thought it was because he was a good guy, but apparently I, I well, was Well, he's wrong. a great guy. When you he's healthy, you can almost every time count for five innings at a minimum, and he's going to keep you in the game. 
There's value in that, having that guy in your rotation. By the way, one name to keep an eye on, uh, Gordon Graceffo has dominated to start out this season. He is 22 years old. He was previously a fifth-round pick for the Cardinals back in 2021. He throws 100. He's in double-A right now. I have now seen multiple people mention that he could be a guy that gets called up sooner rather than later. Keep your, keep your eye on him. He is worth monitoring. Again, he throws 100 miles an hour. He could be part of the solution to the Cardinals' right-handed issues in their bullpen. Um, I, I would not be surprised if at some point after the All-Star break, that's a guy that ends up helping them a lot. And I know some people would say, well, doesn't he need to go to AAA first? No. Sometimes teams, if a guy's been really down like Grafico has been, they will skip AAA because it's such a hitter-friendly league that it's hard to really get a read on. Uh, pitchers like Matthew Libertor and Zach Thompson, their numbers are probably better if the league wasn't so hitter friendly, just based on where all these teams are and how these ballparks play. And Jordan Hicks, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he come straight up from A ball? Yeah. Yeah. Out of spring training. His yeah. wasn't through the regular right. season, but yeah, yeah well, he came through A ball because he dominated in spring yeah, he training. He was throwing like 102 in spring training. And that's that's the path for Graceffo. I, I think his future is, I think they would still like him to be a starter but it could be similar to what they have done in the past with some of these guys where you bring them up as relievers and then the following year you hope that you could get them back on track with the starter. I think they want to build up the innings right now, but later on this year, it might be something where he ends up being in your bullpen. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes, Chris Kerber joins the show, but next, are we starting to see what the Cardinals sold us over the last few years years out of Dylan Carlson? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And the 1-0 pitch. Big hit out to left. Here comes Tommy Edmond and the Cardinals get on the board. Dylan thought about going for two. He'll stop it first. And that makes it a 3-1 Miami lead. And Carlson lifts a high fly ball. Into deep right. That ball is down. It's a ground rule double, and the Cardinals have the lead. We're starting to see Dylan Carlson come up with big hits. It feels like every single night. He finished two for four last night, added a couple of RBIs, and alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like on Bally Sports Midwest last night. Since May 1st, Alex, this is not even going back just to when he returned from the IL. This is going basically after the first month of the season. Dylan Carlson is batting 300. He has a 516 slugging percentage in that stretch. He's got 13 doubles, four homers, 16 RBIs in 35 games over that stretch of time since May 1st. He's been outstanding. This is the player that the Cardinals were selling us on. Here's Ollie Marmel after the game last night talking about what he's seen from Dylan Carlson and how he's been able to produce. It's big for us uh, to get him going is a is a big part of that depth that we're talking about. Um, having him in that two holder day and getting on for the guys behind uh, that ball he hit backside for the RBI. That's a it's a big knock for sure. The entire list of outfielders, Alex, since May first, with a better OPS plus than Dylan Carlson, is as follows: Jordan Alvarez, who I understand is mostly a DH, but he does have some time in the outfield. Mike Trout, he's pretty good. Aaron Judge, Jock Peterson, Kyle Tucker, Mookie Betts. End of list. Dylan Carlson is in company with some of the premier outfielders in all of baseball right now. Alex, it's interesting because kind of going back to the conversation we had about Paul Goldschmidt, this is not a player that if you watch on an individual nightly basis, you're like, wow, he's he just jumps out off of the screen. He doesn't hit the ball particularly hard. He's just really good. 
He's a really good defender who can play in center field if you need him to. He can steal some bags, as you saw last night. He hits for extra bases. I think it's 10 of his last 14 hits have been for extra bases. He's just a really solid all-around player. And right now, as they're going without Tyler O'Neill, and as you've got so many pitchers on the injured list trying to work their way back, you needed this kind of performance out of Dylan Carlson. And it's good to see him kind of showing up the promise of what the Cardinals had been selling us for so many years. Yeah, and I think a lot of this is just because he's healthy now. And maybe the injury really was hurting Dylan Carlson, for lack of a better word. And you're starting to see that kind of get to the point that you expect it with Dylan Carlson. He's an impact bat. Now, he's not the Paul Goldschmidt impact bat or he's not the Juan Yepes impact bat. But for me, I think you always need certain individuals who can do something better than others. And Dylan Carlson's one of those guys that he's just really good in place hitting in terms of if you got a guy on first and you need to move him over, well, he can do that for you. Situational, yeah. Yeah, thank you. It's just he's got the power. He's got the ability to put the ball where he needs to. And then, of course, he's got the speed that plays for the Cardinals team. Frankly, for me, and I don't. this might be me just getting too excited over something, I liked Dylan Carlson in the two-hole last night. I, I like the idea of the... Two switch hitters, which I don't know how much goes into that, but you've got the guy who can do that type of hitting in front of a Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and behind a Tommy Edmond, who basically, if he hits a single, he's stealing a base, and he's going to be on second ready to score I for you. I love that look against left-handed pitching. I thought that was an, a really, really smart idea by Ollie Marmel last night to go with that look at the top of the lineup, because then you've got... Tommy Edmond, who's much better from that side of the plate, hits for a lot more power, at least, from that side of the plate. Same thing for Dylan Carlson. He, most of his power comes from that side. And then Paul Goldschmidt against lefties is just absolutely ridiculous. For his entire career, he's been absurd. And this year, it's just I think he's like 450 in terms of the batting average against left-handed pitching. Good luck uh, pitching to those three at the top of the lineup. So I, I agree with you. I really liked that look as well. Yeah, I, I like it as well because then you get guys that are going to get on base between Carlson and Edmond and set the table for the guys on Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnato, and then Gorman, who Gorman slash Pools, to, if it's a lefty, I would say Pools around that five six spot along with Juan Yepes there as well. I, I just like it because I think he is the he is the all around hitter that Alex was talking about. You can see his great uh, plate approach. I mean, you look at him in this month of June alone since he's come back from the injury, he struck out fourteen times, but he's walked ten. So I mean, he he's got a very good plate approach. He's very disciplined. At the plate, he can spray the ball all over the field, and he's just as Alex was saying, he he looks healthy. He looks like the guy that you're expecting coming into the year. This is what you expected from Dylan Carlson, and that's why you, we had him so high when it came to our top twenty most important Cardinals. Just because if you didn't get this from DC, someone else was going to have to fill that void. And luckily for the Cardinals, they've gotten that void filled by Juan Yepes and Brendan Donovan, who've come up and done a good job of replacing the missing production that they were missing from uh, Carlson and O'Neill. But, yeah, he, he looks to be like he is right now, and that is a good sign. He is everything, like you were saying, BK, that the Cardinals were promising us. All-around player has can play center field slash right field. But honestly, better off in right field, but he's still very good defensively in center field. I think he's a guy that wins a gold glove for you at some point defensively, and his bat just plays in a lineup. He doesn't, like you said, doesn't stand out with the advanced metrics, but he's like the perfect kind of typical leadoff slash number two hitter for the Cardinals. You know what I really like about this Cardinals offense? Is And by the way, they're fifth right now in Major League Baseball in runs per game. Only the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Mets, and the Giants have been better offensively in terms of scoring runs on the season. Uh, they're top 10 in literally every statistical category that you want to be top 10 in, in terms of the metrics. What I really like about them is that they've got guys like Brendan Donovan and Dylan Carlson who can do it all. 
but they also have the pure power hitters like a Nolan Gorman. They've got contact guys like a Brendan Donovan who get on base at a really high clip. Same thing uh, for a guy like Tommy Edmond, who's just a pure contact hitter. They have a little bit of everything. It kind of reminds me, remember when the Cardinals played against the Tampa Bay Rays? I was like, man, how do they have every kind of reliever? Like a lefty that's that's coming from over the top. They've got a righty that is going like a submarine arm. They've got a righty that comes over the top at 100 miles an hour. And then a guy that's going to come out and give you like a sinker baller. They've got a slider. from. They, they had every style that you could possibly see coming out of a bullpen. I feel like that's kind of the Cardinals offense right now. They've got every kind of hitter that you can throw into the lineup. I don't remember who it was, but somebody recently over on The Athletic wrote about how important lineup diversity is. And they were talking specifically about the Yankees, how in the past they've just been this pure power hitting team. And so there's too much swing and miss throughout their lineup. And now you throw in some more of those lefties. You add in some contact hitters here and there and look at what the Yankees are doing now. I think that's kind of where the Cardinals are at offensively. Getting this from a Juan Yepes and a Brendan Donovan and then adding in once we've seen Dylan Carlson heat up a little bit, him to the mix as well, a Nolan Gorman who has that pure power and all of that pivots around the two big bats in the middle of your order. That's the difference between where we are right now with the offense and where we've been in recent years is you've got a little bit of everything that's added into the mix. Well, and that's why I just like the depth of this offense and, and why we're not talking about them needing another bat when it comes to the trade deadline is because when you look at fully healthy, when I know if they ever get to that, but I mean, you're talking about one of Juan Yepes, Brendan Donovan as your DH playing because your outfield stacked and Gorman's going to be playing second base. That is you've got the contact guy off the bench, you've got the power guy off of the bench, and then you've got the Albert Pujols against lefty off the bench. That's a dangerous bench to have if you're a Cardinals team where in the past you pretty much had a one-trick pony off of the bench, and it was contact, and that was it. Now you've got different threats, which I think is the ability of Ali Marmol kind of play that chess match against other teams' managers when it's the pitching decisions. Coming up next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins the show. I want to get his reaction to what we heard earlier today from Darren Drager. It sounds like the trade market is about to heat up. What does that mean for the Blues? We'll ask Kerbs next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. keep hearing a little bit throughout the Stanley Cup final, but now that the Stanley Cup has been awarded, in the last two days, I've heard uh, from managers, from player agents, the expectation that the next several days is going to be wild on the trade front, etc. So uh, I think everybody needs to buckle up. That was Darren Drager on with us about 30 minutes ago saying that apparently... All of these trade talks are starting to heat up as we are officially one week away from the NHL draft. And right now we're going out to the Brown and Crippen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Kerber. Kerbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. I wanted to get your immediate thoughts on what we just heard from Darren Drager. Uh, Apparently the trade talks are starting to heat up around the NHL. Do you think we're going to get some activity over the next week prior to the NHL draft? Yeah, I, I do actually, Brandon. And the reason the reason I believe that is because the cat is re- the cap is relatively flat. There's only a one million dollar raise in the cap this year. I believe it's to eighty two and a half million. 
And with that being the case, there's only so much that teams can do, especially if you have a certain number of players under contract and especially if they're large sum contracts. So sometimes the best way to fix that situation or to improve your roster is to, is to simply make a trade. And the bottom line is every team, except for, I would say, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche, and I guess you make the case for the Lightning because they did not win it, right? but every team that did not win it realizes that as good as they thought they were, they just weren't good enough. So what are the tweaks that they need to make? You know, and so teams teams like 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 the Vancouver Canucks that are poised to make another step, they can't do it with just what they've got in house and they can't do it with younger players. They're gonna have to move some pieces to advance some other pieces. And there's a lot of teams in my opinion that fit that bill. So I yeah, I would expect a lot of talks to heat up going into this draft. And some of those are like restricted free agent wise, right? There are teams that are going into restricted free agencies for some of their players, especially if they've got arbitration rights. They're saying to themselves, man, I, I don't know that we can meet what the demand is going to be on a long term contract. So I know that's something I've talked about with Alex. And then earlier today, uh, Curbs, there, there was a piece over on the athletic and I, I don't want to get too far into it. But basically, they said one guy that might be worth keeping an eye on is Marcus Pedersen from the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's a left-handed defenseman. He's got three years left on his deal at about $4 million uh, per year. If they're going to bring back Chris Letang and they look at Malkin and potentially bring him back as well, they're going to have to figure it out money-wise. If things don't go well with the Jacob Chikrin talks and there's just too many teams and the asking price gets too high, maybe not even necessarily Pedersen as the specific player, but somebody like him where a team has to move on from him because of the money, is that a move that you think could make sense for the Blues? Well, it, yeah, it absolutely could. Uh, it, it really could, especially from the youth standpoint and, and you know where they projected he could go, Brandon. And to me, the restricted free agent aspect is a real fascinating one. Teams would like to acquire them because it gives them a certain amount of control. I mean, how much? How many times in baseball do you talk about team control, right, and, and what that means to teams? Well, to me, restricted free agency is a real fascinating one in hockey. Because while, yes, we have seen some guys get signed to a contract offer sheet, you know, and then, you know, and we, we saw most recently between the Montreal Canadiens and the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, but, but there hasn't been a lot of it. And yet at the same time, we seem to see general managers, ones that may not have some intestinal fortitude in the restricted free agent process, willing to give players some pretty big contracts pretty early. And, and to be honest with you, I'll give you a great example. Jacob Chikrin is one of those examples. I Look, I know he's a good player. I know he's highly sought after. He's sought after now because of that contract control, you know, but I think he can make the case that you overpaid Jacob Chikrin for the last few years. And if you look at, say, example, Doug Armstrong's uh, M.O. and his record here, if it's a guy like Alex Petrangelo, if it's a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko, he knows exactly what he has. He hasn't been afraid to pay them. But you've also seen bridge contracts for guys like Jaden Schwartz and Robert Thomas and other guys along those kind of lines. Because their belief is once you qualify them, yeah, you hope to get a contract done and, and you, you think you will get the contract done. But if another team is going to offer him some insane number, well, then they do that and you take the compensation that goes with it. So I, I've I really found the restricted free agent aspect fascinating on how teams like the Edmonton Oilers back when it was Taylor Hall and those guys and how they did it all wrong. 
have tried to learn from that and then and, and do it differently. It's it, it, it's an intriguing part of this process. Curbs, the other thing that's intriguing for me with this offseason is just the Central Division in a whole because if you look, Colorado wins the Stanley Cup, but they have a lot of pending free agents that you don't know what that's going to look like. The Blues could pretty much run it back and they'd have close to the same team but then you're talking about Nashville who could look very different next year Dallas who could look very different next year Arizona is in a world of its own and Winnipeg I mean uh, going into this upcoming season it really feels like Colorado and St. Louis already are the two best teams in the Western Conference yeah well they're definitely up there I mean I, I would expect Calgary to to have a role in that I think the LA Kings are going to continue to make some strides I thought they had a fantastic season. But especially in the Central Division, as you mentioned, you know, what happens with Nashville and Philip Forsberg could be really big. You've got Pete DeBoer, who's now the head coach in Dallas, but they could lose Klingberg. And and I I just don't know what happens in Dallas changing a culture similarly to what Bill Guerin did in Minnesota. Minnesota, I still expect to be good. And, you know, and, and Winnipeg, look, Winnipeg doesn't need to go into a rebuild. You just got to find a coach right now and how that is all going to shake out. I, I still expect the Central Division, who I believe in every year but two, has put five of the eight Western Conference teams in the playoffs since this new format started. I, I still expect the Central Division to maybe be, once again, the hardest division in, in the NHL as it's proving to be year in and year out. We're talking to Chris Kerber for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN Curbs as we look towards the NHL draft. And like I said, we're, we're about eight days away from that now. What do you expect the Blues to be looking for in the draft? I know it's always the best player available thing, but it, if they had their druthers with it, what, would, what do you think they're hoping falls to them in terms of positions? Well, I, I, I would think that you hope for a, a good skilled winger. It would be, or a tall defenseman. I know there's been some talk of some defensemen, but when I see sizes under five feet or under six feet, under five feet would be pretty wild. Yeah, that'd be that'd be quite impressive. That's he'd go between height. the legs. He treats somebody, you know. Yeah, he he'd go right through Colton, <laughs> underneath Colton Perenko like his legs were pylons. Um, no, but you know what? The interesting thing about the draft for me, Brandon, is this. The St. Louis Blues are a team you still have to watch even when they're picking in that range of 20th. Because what's fascinating about what the Blues have done, and this is why Bill Armstrong of the Arizona Coyotes actually you know, went and grabbed some of the Blues people when he put his staff, staff together. When you go back to the 2010 draft, the Blues have drafted 79 players. Now, only eight of those 79 players have played 200 or more games for the Blues. Some of them have played 200 or more games for another team. But but if you think of it, four of those eight were first-round draft picks. The other four are guys like Vince Dunn, Schwartz. Um, or, well, Schwartz, I'm sorry, was, was, was a first-round pick. Dunn, Yashkin, Edmondson, Barbashev. And you, and you look at the, the impact that these guys have had, Colton Pareko, and they're finding value in that late first round, second round, and third round. You know, And it, it really is a fascinating thing for me. I also went back to 2010 and said, okay, they've taken 18 first-rounders. Only two, only two of those 18 first-rounders, I guess you could say four yet, because we don't know what Jake Neighbors and we don't know what Bolduc are going to do. All right? But the only two that have made it so far that you say have not been impact players would be Schmaltz. And you'd have to throw Clint Costin in there, and the, and the jury's still out on him. All the rest have been impactful for the Blues in either winning a Stanley Cup or via trade to bring in a key piece 
to this franchise. So even though they haven't had a lot of high in 18, 20, 25, 26, second round, third round, the Blues have found tremendous value and franchise impact players in those three rounds of the drafts with where they've been picking. It's been pretty doggone good. He's Chris Kerber. He's the voice of the Blues. Sounds like we're having a little bit of difficulties with the connection right now. But, Kerbs, we appreciate the time as always. If I understand it correctly, it sounds like you're getting ready to head out on vacation here uh, in the next few days. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe out there. And we'll talk with you again soon as we get further into this NHL offseason. All right, guys. Have a great couple weeks. Talk to you a little later. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Alex, I've been looking through some of the restricted free agents on the defenseman side of things. There's not a lot of great ones. No. Um, There's one... He's a righty, though. Dante Fabro from no, no. Uh, the, the Nashville Predators. He, he at least plays a decent amount. But again, it's the right-handed thing. Like well, Even if you liked him as a player, it doesn't make yeah. sense. Frank Saravalli just put a list out on Daily Faceoff. Let's talk about it on the other side. Here on 101 ESPN. Tease. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. before the break that Frank Saravalli of the Daily Faceoff just put out a new article and it is titled seven offer sheet candidates for the 2022 NHL offseason. This goes back to what we were just discussing with the restricted free agent. Now, now we should say at the front end, this is incredibly rare. Like last offseason, I remember Jamie was talking about it in relation to Kale McCarr, where it's like, hey, you might as well go ahead and throw something out there. Throw as much money as you want to. He's Kale McCarr. Worst case scenario, he signs it. He comes and you've got Kale McCarr and you figure out what to do next. And then best case scenario, maybe you up the ante in terms of the money that he's going to be required to be paid by the Colorado Avalanche. And that's not so bad. Now they're screwed with their cap situation. Kind of wish somebody would have done that for like $11 million this offseason. Now... This very rarely happens Mm -hmm. where somebody actually signs a restricted free agent offer from somebody else, the offer sheet. And then it is even less rare that that player actually ends up there. It's only happened, I think, twice in the salary cap era over the last 15 years. So that is the caveat to all of this in terms of saying how unlikely it is to, to take place. That being said, Alex, if the Blues got creative, as we've been talking about and wanted to go this route, are there candidates to do so? Sounds like a BK buildup right here, T-Bone. Can you hit the open? No, come on. I don't have Okay, that's ready. fine. Sorry. So uh, you brought up Marcus Pedersen, and his name's not on this, but I like that one because Pittsburgh's kind of in a weird situation this offseason. So he's under contract. He, he's at oh, like so four, you'd have to trade for him. Okay, yeah, I thought he was a restricted. $4 million per year. So uh, there's not a whole lot of sexy names on this list. Like in terms of defensemen, Rasmus Sandin from the Toronto Maple Leafs. He played 51 games for him this year. He's coming off a uh, season where he was making 1.8 mil. This guy is kind of an uncertainty. He's only 22 years old. I don't think this projects to be a guy who plays with Colton Pareko this upcoming season, but it's somebody you could offer sheet. We all know Toronto's kind of in cap hell right now with what they're dealing with. The one that sparked, well, there's another one too before I get to the one that sparked my interest. Noah Dobson from the New York Islanders, our buddy Grant Francis, who fills in every once in a while. Uh, he works for the Islander broadcast, and he has told me before that this Noah Dobson's a stud. Plays right side, can play the left side. But as Frank Saravalli points out, you don't really want to mess with Lou Lamarillo when it comes to offer sheets because he's going to find a way to get you back. 
But Frank Saravalli does have on this list, on the radar, Nicholas Haig from Vegas. And uh, again, I, Darren Drager made it pretty clear that that's not going to happen. I mean, he pretty much answered it before I finished the question. He said via trade, though. Via trade, yes. And that's where the offer sheet comes into play, which I find fascinating. Now, for people that don't know the compensations for this, there's a whole list of them. But essentially, you have to have the picks that are your own picks for the upcoming draft. So it wouldn't be for this draft because you can't offer that player an offer sheet until after the draft. So, for example, with Haig, the the Blues could not offer him between 2 and $4 million per year because the Blues don't have their second-round pick yes. in next year's draft. It would either have to be between 1.3 and 2.1. Which four... isn't getting it. He's not signing that. So yeah, you're probably yeah. going to have to offer him more than $4 well, million dollars per year. And if he were to sign it and accepted your offer, and on top of that, the Vegas Golden Knights decided not to match that offer sheet, then you would give up your first and third round picks in order to acquire Here's him. Here's the thing, though. He might sign that third round pick. Because remember, he's in not... In terms of $1.5 million per year? He's not arbitration eligible. But at, mm, he's only going to get eight hundred and seventy-five thousand. It's kind of like what Vince Dunn went through that, that one point, season. Wouldn't Ve- just to play devil's advocate? Wouldn't Vegas just sign him? They're two. They're two million dollars under the cap right now. But they can find that. Like we we know how Vegas operates. They will figure it out how to make it work for a guy that they really like. Clearly, based on what Drager told us, if it's one point five million dollars, yeah. they'll figure that out and they will just match the offer sheet and they'll find a way to open up the probably, cap space. Probably, probably. And you're but right. Four point five. That's where it starts to get really interesting to me. And and, the and thing, that's the Jacob Chikrin. That is the Jacob money. Chikrin. And you just got to make the decision. Do you want a guy who has experience in the NHL or a guy who has little experience in the NHL? Me personally, if I'm going to pay. Jacob Chikrin that money and I could sign a guy who's younger and is going to have more control I probably would do something like this but the the thing about offer sheets is and Blues fans might remember this when the Vancouver Canucks offer sheeted David Backus the prior season if I'm not mistaken the Blues offer sheeted a player from Vancouver maybe it was the season after Vancouver did that to the Blues but what I'm trying to say here is if you offer sheet a player and let's say it's unsuccessful that GM's going to remember that, and they'll find a way to offer sheet a player that might hurt you. And the Blues have two players that will be offer sheet eligible next offseason. So you have to really take into consideration what a team could do to you. There's not a whole lot of sexy names on the offer sheet side of things, but I go back to the Nicholas Haig because he is a top four caliber left-handed defenseman. And if you really want to take advantage of a team that's already in cap hell, you look at this Nicholas Haig situation and say, look, we can either make a trade or we can offer sheet your guy. And this is the way you get creative, right? Look, yep. the, the free agency market, the reality is it's just not there. Like if you want to bring back Nick Letty, you could, but it's going to cost you this kind of money and you could potentially get a cheap, maybe not suit way cheaper, but a younger player that you're hoping is entering his prime as opposed to a Nick Letty who is probably leaving the prime of his career Correct. right now. And that's where this comes in and you do have to give up draft picks, but I think a trade is probably the most likely way that the Blues are able to upgrade their blue line. And if it's not a Jacob Chikrin, if they don't want to go the Ivan Provorov route, and those are going to be costly. It's not just the draft pick compensation. It's also likely young players and potentially proven assets as well. This is the way that you go about it. There's one other player that wasn't on that list, but I was looking through some of the restricted free agents that uh, might be interesting, Alex. And he played for Calgary last year. And if you're going this route, my guess is what you do instead is you probably just go the uh, Zadorov route. But Oliver Chilington, 
Yeah, Chillington. Chillington, he's he's 24 years old. He's a restricted free agent this offseason. He's much better as an offensive-minded defenseman than mm-hmm. he is as a defensive defenseman, but he played about 18 and a half minutes per game last year for Calgary. Again, he's a restricted free agent this upcoming offseason. He might be at least worth keeping tabs on. I don't know that you're going to give him, though, the $4 million per year. He's probably more of the, you give him the $1.5, $2 million, and see what that looks like. Yeah, and this is one of those players that I've heard in conversations. I think Haley uh, Civilian put this on The Athletic, that he could be a player that Calgary could trade to open up some cap space to keep a Matthew Kachuk and a Johnny Goudreau. I don't mind this player. I just think this player is, once again, very similar to Tori Krug and to... Um, Scott Perunovich. Like, I think he's just that, that type of player. And for the Blues, I think you're looking for somebody a little different to be playing in that top pair. Could you go that route, though? Could you say, you know what? We liked what Nick Letty looked like last yeah. year with Colton Pareko. And this is a guy who's only 25 years old. He's, um, he's seemingly coming into his own. This was his first full season in the NHL. Maybe they view him as having higher upside than a Marco Scandella for them next year or Nico Mikola, who maybe they don't think is totally ready for Mm -hmm. that top pairing role. I'm not saying he's the answer, but as you're looking through some of the restricted free agents and whether it be via trade or an offer sheet, he's the only one that really stood out to me as being somebody of interest. Yeah, well, and I always go... Other than the ones that you've already mentioned. I always go back to what Baruby and Armstrong said at the exit interviews, talking about what the identity of that left side defenseman is. And it's fast, good at puck moving, and big. Now, this guy might not be big, although he's six foot, yeah. but he's fast, and he gets the puck out of his own zone. So, yeah, if this is the direction you decide to go, then I think that makes sense. But I just personally feel that the Blues want all of those qualities in a defenseman, but they want some size there as well. And that's why you go back to those bigger type players before you fall back. Like this feels like the safety net side of things where, you know what, if we can't get those bigger players, then we'll drop back down to the smaller stature, but to good at zone exits. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So we've been looking for different ways to upgrade the blue line for the St. Louis Blues. This is just one of them. It is one of many possibilities, and we know Doug Armstrong is going to be going to work this offseason to be able to fix that. Uh, Restricted free agency might be one route that they could take. Coming up in about five minutes or so, uh, we will get into, excuse me, ten minutes or so, some of the Blues backup options if they, these guys are uh, not working out. Also, Sandy Alcantara, uh, did this trade, looking back on it, is this the one that the Blue or the Cardinals would like to take back? We'll get into that coming up at 1 o'clock. Junk Drawers next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer in about five minutes. We'll talk back. We'll look back at the Sandy Alcantara trade. With the benefit of hindsight, is that the one that the Cardinals would like to have back? I'm actually going to take the devil's advocate view on this. We'll get into that coming up here at the top of the hour. But right now, guys, there's a new plane that is being considered right now. It's called the Sky Cruise. It is a concept for a nuclear-powered sky hotel. 
That sounds like a bad idea. Now, I saw this yesterday. The video shows that the aircraft is designed to fly with 20 electric engines. It houses over 5,000 guests in what would be a nearly um, nonstop flight. Here's my question to you all. Do we need this? No. Do no. you feel like you need to have a house up in the air while you're flying somewhere? Now, no. I understand. Maybe this is better. Like, Alex, check this out. Look at this. And I know this is not good for uh, for radio. That's a but cruise ship in the air. Yeah. It's a cruise ship in the air. I don't need to be in the air on a cruise ship. Why like, do I need a main entertainment deck while I'm flying? My, my, my hope on a plane is that I'm on it as quick as possible. I want to get on, get off, and get along with my day. I'm not in the air is that a song? for my amusement. I am in the air to get to where I need to go. Yeah. That's it. Nothing more, you nothing go, less. You go on a cruise because you you were going for a vacation. I'm not going on a plane for vacation. I'm going on a plane to get to vacation destination. Also, I'm terrified of flying. Yeah, I hate like, flying. <laughs> really? Absolutely. I, I prefer oh, to drive. I get all me. clammy in my yeah. hands. I'm like oh. holding on to the railing as we're getting ready to take off and You're land. You're the guy that it's screams on takeoff, aren't you? Our honeymoon and was... And I clap whenever we land. Good, oh, good I don't work, do that. Pilot. That's good terrible. I, our honeymoon was to Hawaii, and it was awful because it was such a long flight. How long flight. a flight is that? It had to have been like 13 hours. It was awful. Where'd you guys go from? Uh, St. Louis. I think you went straight from St. Louis yeah, to Hawaii. We didn't have a connecting flight. Wow. Yeah, we flew to. It was uh, awful. I think we went to L.A. first and then took off from L.A. to go down there. That had to be an unbelievably long awful. flight. Well, and then on the way home, because at the time, you know, we got married in 2016 and we didn't have a whole lot of money. So we did the red eye flight home oh, from God. Hawaii and it was straight through once again. And it was awful. But I hate flying. So like. I prefer to drive everywhere rather than fly. Really? Oh, yeah. I will drive wherever you need me to if my car can get there. Uh, I, if it is like three plus hours, like I'm out. I want, If I can fly, oh, no. I'm flying. I've tried, to, I've tried to convince Katie that when we go to Disney World with our daughters in the future, we drive. I've done that drive, that dude. Drive I sucks. do not recommend I've done it. it. It is brutal. I just, yeah. One, I hate flying, and two, I really don't want to fly with two little kids. The longest That's that I'm fair. willing to drive from here is like if you're going south, we've driven to Gulf Shores a number of times. It's not a fun drive, but you can do it. And then going out to Denver... Yeah. Again, not a fun drive at all, but right, it's you easy because you're on I-70 the entire time. We did two awful drives. One was to um, Mackinac Island in Michigan, which, like, no joke, it is at the peak of Michigan, like the top of it. It was like a 12-and-a-half-hour drive, brutal, and then to Savannah, Georgia, which I actually enjoyed that drive, but it's still like an eight-and-a-half-hour drive. Yeah, See, I, I would I rather fly. That. If you can fly there, I would rather do it. I, like, just, I'm, I hate planes. Peek behind the curtain. I'm going to Springfield with my dad this weekend. That's, You're flying to Springfield? No, that's three oh. hours from here, and I'm dreading the three-hour drive really? to Springfield. Really? I, and look, I'm going to be the one driving more than likely, and, and that's fine. I can do it. If I can like somehow like just speed up the process and get there sooner, like go to the airport and do something and get the, on a plane and get there quicker, I would much rather do that than drive the three hours. I hate driving home, and that's two and a half hours. Someone said, if the cruise ship goes down, my body will float in the water. If the sky ship goes down, I'm dead. F that. Exactly. That's well, where I'm at. To be fair, you know, there was the Titanic. I think people died during that. Yeah, um, but their bodies floated. Um, it was cold. The water was well. Don't go to a cold water warm. area, right? Yeah. That's why you go to the Caribbean. This way, I've always said if I go on a cruise, it's got to be warm water. The longest flight I've ever been on was um, I went on a mission trip down to Lima, Peru. Oof. So we flew out of Miami and uh, into to Peru. Oh, Is that longer bloody. than Hawaii? How long was that? I think it's pretty similar. Probably from yeah. here. It that is not a flight. How long that did I would you say recommend. your flight was? I think it was like 13 hours or something like that. I mean, we were basically like, we got 
We left KC because this was when I was growing up. We left KC around like 7 a.m. Basically, first flight out, got to Miami. It was still morning there. And then by the time we landed in Peru, it was nighttime down there. That That is not a fun way to go about yeah, it. I, Losing I, an entire day flying sucks. I just, I don't like flying. I, I've never liked it. And I, it's not that I'm afraid of it. It's just I, I prefer not to be I've in only, the air. I've only done it, I guess, twice slash four times. It was to Vegas and back from Vegas and then to uh, Houston and then from Dallas back here. And I, I don't mind it. I, the worst part is waiting you in the airport. You drove to Houston? No, no, no. I flew to Houston. Oh, God. My family drove. I met them down there. Dude, so I my internship, I, I interned for Nick Wright, who's now on FS1 down when he was doing the morning show in Houston. My I guess it would have been after my freshman year in college. So I lived down there for three months. And, of course, you've got to drive down there to get all of your stuff. I, on my way down to Houston, my car broke down Oof. near Oklahoma City. Sounds like T-bone life. It, it just stopped working. So I coasted into, I don't know how oh, this worked. Man. This was like the opposite. It was a BKO that ended up working out okay. I coasted down. I, it broke down right next to an exit. Coasted down this exit. And right to the right was a, a car shop. So it was like a Saturday afternoon and they were getting ready to close. But they said they'd take it in and I could get it taken care of by the next day. So I coasted in and next door was this like ho- this motel, like a motel six, but worse. Oh, um, it, it, the, the, the town had maybe had 500 people in it. Nice. So they take my car like that my night. Hotel. It turned into another BKO. There were like six tornadoes in the area nice. <laughs> on my way down Tell to you. Houston. Car problems when you're on a road trip. Oh. Are you know I've never had that. I had that when I went to Cincinnati. Awful. We were going to, uh, so we stayed outside of Cincinnati. I think we stayed in. I think it was, Ken- it was Kentucky, south of Ohio. If I'm not mistaken, we stayed. We were yes, like buddy. 30 minutes from downtown, so we were uh, outside. We were in Kentucky. Suit? No, uh, and we went to a. It was like a presidential like home or something. And like my car, like it was started to have that like rattling of the engine, and we were able to get it to a shop because if we would have waited, which I wanted to do. Uh, we would have had a battery that would have died. And it was the only car and only transportation we had in the middle of Cincinnati. That was, was mine. My, all, everything that I had that I was taking to Houston for three yeah. months was inside of this car. And I'm just like, here, car auto shop that I know nothing about in the middle of Oklahoma in a town of like 500. Hopefully you can fix this within the next 24 hours. I've got to get to work. Like literally two days from then, I was supposed to report for my internship. That was completely unpaid. I'm a broke college student at the time. It was absolutely miserable. Someone texted in and said uh, from the 618, was the flight really that bad, Alex? Because I'm flying to Hawaii next week. No, no, no. It's fine. It, 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 if you like flights, just sit back and relax. Just I clammed up the entire time. And you'll be fine. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to play a game of more likely to happen. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one's more likely. Eno Saris is going to join us at 1.30 to talk about the Cardinals pitching woes and who could be out there that could help them. But next... How do you view this Sandy Alcantara trade with the benefit of hindsight? We'll give you our perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. Coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Today, the Cardinals are seeing an old friend. 
They probably wish he was still on their team. Sandy Alcantara starting against them for the Miami Marlins, and he is very good at the pitching thing. So far this season, in 106 innings, which, by the way, leads all of baseball, he has a 1.95 ERA. Yeah, that's quite good. The Cardinals knew he was going to be good. Of course, they didn't realize that he was going to be this good. Otherwise, they wouldn't have traded him to the Marlins in the deal for... Uh, Marcelo Zuna. Now, Alex, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conversations today amongst fans and certainly on the radio of kind of the revisionist history of looking back on that and saying, yeah, looking back, they probably shouldn't have made that deal. I would go the other way. I think they made the right deal. It just didn't work. And the reason why I'm not going to be critical of them for this is because if I'm going to be the same guy that says right now, I want them to be aggressive. I don't want them to lose that mindset that ended up obviously kind of hurting them here, but also allowing them to make the moves for a guy like Paul Goldschmidt or when Nolan Arenado became available. If you have a massive need, go out and fill it. If you have the assets that you believe are replaceable. Now, what they have learned is that there's no way to replace this guy. You you don't replace a legitimate ace who has some of the best stuff in all of baseball. This guy throws like 98 miles per hour on average. His changeup is faster than Adam Wainwright's fastball. Like That's ridiculous. So it, it ended up burning them. And they, now you look back on it and you say to yourself, yeah, look at what Marcelo Zuno was here. That wasn't worth giving up an ace. I get that completely. But even if I had the benefit of doing it over again, I think I would still, given where the Cardinals were, and they needed that middle of the order bat in a bad, bad way. I think I still would have done that deal at the time. Obviously, now you know, though, that it burned them. Yeah, I I mean, it stings now looking at it when a guy could potentially win the Cy Young, if not the favorite for the Cy Young as we sit, and it sucks. But, you know, like, you go back and you look at 2017 when that deal was made and the Cardinals had plenty of pitching depth. And I heard Derek Gould uh, doing an interview yesterday talking about this. And you think of the fact that Alex Reyes was not only their top prospect, but one of the top prospects in all of baseball and looked primed and ready to be a starting pitcher for the team who was 10 years old. Luke Weaver was their third best prospect. Jack Flaherty and Sandy Alcantara were basically hand in hand with the rankings in terms of prospects. And you also had Dakota Hudson coming up through the rankings. Yeah, now, your top 10 prospects going into that season were Alex Reyes, Jack Flaherty, Luke Weaver was part of that. And then later on down the road, you got into where they were talking about Sandy Alcantara. He was not even a top 10 prospect, no. according to Baseball uh, America, going into 2017. And you had Austin Gomber in the system and Marco Gonzalez in the system. Like you had so many pitching weapons that you honestly, it feels like what the Cardinals are at right now with their outfield spots where yep. you have so much and you're like, none of these guys are going to be able to make it or they're all not going to be able to make it at the same time so yeah you needed offense and we've all heard the reports by now that the Cardinals were really more interested in Christian Yelich and Giancarlo Stanton and it fell to Marcelo Zuna but for me the way I looked at this was this is kind of similar to the Blues when they had Ben Bishop and Jake Allen you've got two guys that look like they're going to be stars and you made the decision to go with one over the other and the guy goes on that you opted to trade away and has a sensational career. But was it really that bad compared to what it is now with what you have? Maybe some people hate it. Maybe a lot of people would prefer Ben Bishop over Jake Allen, like so many prefer Sandy Alcantara over Jack Flaherty. But it was a trade I think you had to make if you're John Mosellac, and you dealt from within from a guy who wasn't performing up to the potential you expected him to. Yeah, and I don't think you... Look, I understand that, yeah, the Cardinals did lose that trade, but I, I don't look back on that trade kind of for what you guys are saying and say... 
you know what, it's just a trade that you just couldn't absolutely make. Because, I mean, they did need that bat in the middle of the order at that time. I remember watching MLB Network after they acquired uh, Marcelo Zuna, and I can't remember who what show it was, but I can remember them specifically saying, yeah, this puts the Cardinals over the top and puts them in World Series contention because they got a guy who was, had just won a silver slugger, a gold glove, and finished top 20 in MVP and was an all-star in his previous year. It made all the sense in the world to go get that guy to be in uh, the corner outfield and be playing gold glove defense and come in and it just didn't work and it's easier to kind of look back on it now i understand look you don't have a sandy alcantara i get it but it's easier to look back on it now and i know fans don't want to hear this but i mean like alex is mentioning you had jack flaherty if jack flaherty wasn't didn't show ace potential then yeah this trade was really something that you want to hear something super interesting since they became regular starters jack flaherty has a 3.22 era for the cardinals Sandy Alcantara has a 3.18 ERA for the Marlins. They have essentially, in terms of their their overall quality of when they've been on the field. I was say, how many starts more has Alcantara made, though? A lot. He's made 27 more starts, and that's yeah. the problem. But but this could have just as easily been reversed. But they also they, took Sandy and put him into the rotation immediately with Miami. Yeah, and he had already been starting for the Cardinals down in the minor leagues. But it, it pitching prospects are so risky because... In an alternate universe, it could have been Sandy Alcantara that was throwing 100, that had no command, that ended up getting hurt three years in. And now we're looking at it completely differently. And you say, oh, it's a good thing that the Cardinals kept Jack Flaherty and traded Sandy Alcantara because clearly Alcantara was the bigger risk in terms of what he's doing with the injuries. And Alcantara had the same kind of reporting not reporting, sorry, scouting report when he read up on him as Reyes did at the same time. It was, yeah, both guys have electric stuff. Both have an absolute uh, missile for a fastball. And and their stuff's there, but both had command issues. And look, Alcantara was able to fix the command issues in Miami, but a lot of guys don't do that. From baseball perspectives this going into that season. a lot like Reyes, I bet. Everything is pretty raw. He commands the fastball better than the secondary stuff, but the fastball command is still a little bit rough. The curveball is well below average and is clearly a work in progress. It flattens out as often as it gets swings and misses. He has a straight changeup that shows that, he'll, uh, that he has show that he has feel and fade with, but he tends to slow everything down in order to utilize it. He's a project, but there's upside here. Here's the other... Go ahead, BK, sorry. No, that... that that sounds like what we That's used to say about Alex Reyes. And Reyes just never got the command. Here's a text we got on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, but the Cardinals wouldn't have had to make that trade if they would have just signed the middle-of-the-order bat and free agent. I just went back and looked at the free agents in 2017. You tell me if any of these would have been the middle-of-the-order bat that they needed. Lorenzo Cain? No. Zach Cozart? No. Carlos Santana? No. Man. Eric Hosmer? No. no, but I, I do think looking back, that could have been something that would have made sense. There would have the been Cardinals. a fit because who was at first at this time? Adams, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, was, was that Martinez? Yeah. But it was seven years, $144 million, which they weren't you, doing. Yeah, you Todd Frazier, Carlos Gomez, Jay Bruce, Mike Mustakas. The only one that made sense at the time was JD Martinez, who was a DH and signed for five years and $110 million. There was not a free agent available to you that year. And you, even if you go to 2016 and say, well, look at the free agents there. At that time, you had Jason Hayward, and you thought Jason Hayward was going to be even that if guy. If you want to go you. down that path, like here's the guys that were signed that year. You want a Cespedes? Did you want that no. four-year, 110 million dollar contract? And you you did end up signing that year the second best uh, free agent hitter, which was Dexter Fowler. Yeah, and you were trying to piece around that. 
The problem is there just weren't guys that became no. available. Not until 2018 when Bryce Harper and Manny yep. Machado were available, but you had already made that trade. And that's the one where, like, if you want to be critical of the Cardinals, I think there is one area where I, I just disagree philosophically, and we've talked to Derek Gould about this in the past. I disagree philosophically with how they view those long-term deals. I think Bryce Harper, when he was, what was it at the time, 26 years old, mm-hmm. you're signing him to a 13-year deal. That obviously has massive risk involved with it. Manny Machado on a 10-year deal. There is a lot of risk associated with that. However, the Cardinals already take on a lot of the backside of that risk when they sign a five-year deal for a guy that's 32 years old. It's the same backside that you're talking about, but you don't get the prime years that are part of a Bryce Harper or a Manny Machado. If you want to be critical, I get it there, but this deal for for Marcelo Zuna, it made all the sense in the world at the time. And, it just failed spectacularly. And at the end of the day, if you would have done this differently and got Christian Yelich in the trade or Giancarlo Stanton in the trade, you don't have Nolan Arenado right now. You don't have the roster that you have in place because you probably resign. If you get Stanton, he's already on that massive mega deal. And, and if you're signing Yelich, if you get Yelich and he has the production that he did with Milwaukee, they're they're probably signing him to a similar long term contract. So yes, you traded away an A Cy Young caliber pitcher, and it stings. But you're also not tied into a contract like Milwaukee is right now with Christian Yelich, or have the amount of injuries that Giancarlo Stanton has had with the Yankees. Yeah, and, and give Mo credit too because that. I'm sorry, give Miami credit because Miami did a good job of assessing what they wanted in terms of this deal and giving up some of your top-end prospects in terms of the Magnera Sierra. He's the one who didn't work, Zach Gallon and uh, Sandy Alcantara. Now, they ended up moving Gallon for Jazz Chisholm, who we've seen in this series get left yesterday's game hurt. But you look at all the other deals that the Cardinals have made for these star players. Let's just be honest. Mo was able to frisk those teams away from their stars. Like, frisk them, huh? Fleece them. Fleece him? Probably fleece. Who's frisking? I don't know. Apparently Mo. That's why Mo's I was doing a good job. That's <laughs> also I why I don't go on flights. I mean, you look at the deals he gave up for Goldie. I mean, you could tell at the time of the deals that it almost looked like steals. I mean, he acquired Goldie for Carson Kelly and Luke Weaver. Look, those guys are solid players, but you knew they were never going to equal what Goldschmidt was. You look at the Nolan Arnato deal. That was basically Colorado said, here's $50 million. Take him and whatever you want to send our way, we'll take. Give Mo credit for those two deals and just give Miami a ton of credit for assessing what they really wanted in this deal for Marcelo Zuna because Mo, look, he made the right move of saying, we need to get a bat. We need to get an impact bat. Stanton did not want to be here. Honestly, a lot of teams, I think, valued Ozuna over Yelich based on the season that Ozuna had just come off of. And Miami just stuck with their guns and said, look, we're going to take your top prospects. You're not going to be able to just steal this player away from us. And they did a very good job of evaluating it. You look back at it, and you obviously wish that it went a different way. but Can't live in the past, BK. Not, not only that, I don't want to learn that lesson from this. Like the, the lesson to be learned here is that you keep taking your shots. It, it didn't work there, but your system has continued to produce high-level talent. And I think this is the lesson. Despite them trading away Sandy Alcantara, look at the way that the system has produced this year. Like it, Three years, four years later, whatever it is, you now have a surplus of talent again despite trading all of those assets for Sandy Alcantara, trading a bunch of assets. I know they weren't high level necessarily, Tanner, but trading assets to the Arizona Diamondbacks to be able to acquire one of the best first basemen in baseball. And then you do the same thing with Colorado and you're able to get Nolan Arenado, despite all of those deals that you've made over the last five years. You still have one of the best systems in baseball at producing major league talent. So this year, what is the lesson? How do you apply that now? Don't take all of these guys and say, we got to keep all of them. 
you don't have to have all of them. Sometimes it's okay to use these these prospects as capital to say, you know what, it makes more sense for us instead of having a guy blocked at AAA who's clearly not going to be a number one or two starter for us. Let's go get a number one or two starter. Let's go find that guy. It's going to cost us something that we think will be good eventually. Let's get us a guy that's going to be good for us right now. The Cardinals are in that mode, in my opinion. And that's where you look at the area that they did in 2017 with Sandy Alcantara and then being loaded at the pitching side of things. And then you go to this year with the outfielders and you wonder, is that the area that you can deal from? Because when you have so many guys for three positions, at some point you got to make a move with someone. And they did that with the Kelly trade, too. They knew he didn't have a spot here because they knew Yachty was going to be back. And they decided ultimately, look, I I know I said, like, you know, Kelly wasn't much to give up. But at the time, he was still considered the heir apparent to Yachty or Molina. And a lot of teams viewed that as valuable. So what did Mo do? He said, okay, he's blocked in our system. We'll go find veterans like Matt Wieters in them to replace that spot. And we'll just send him away to go get a quality MVP caliber player. I think we're going to have a lot more talks about this as we get closer to the trade deadline. But as much as the Cardinals clearly do not want to be trading from their depth in terms of the minor league prospects, I do wonder if the power bat that they now have in the big leagues in Nolan Gorman, I wonder if that changes their need long term and immediately for Tyler O'Neill. I like Tyler O'Neill. I want him to continue to be a part of what they're doing offensively here in St. Louis. I think it extends that lineup even more. And when he's been on and when he's been healthy this year, he's been pretty good, especially of late part prior to that hamstring injury. But if Carlson's taking this next step forward, if you've got a guy in Brendan Donovan who can play capably in left field, he's not great, but he's capable out there. And you've had a guy in, in Nolan Gorman who's transitioned well and is hitting for power at second. I wonder if that changes the need for Tyler O'Neill and he becomes a piece that can help you acquire maybe that starting pitcher that you really need because that's where the depth is. I agree with you guys. It is in the outfield right now. Well, and I asked you before the show today in the office, who has more trade value, Harrison Bader or Tyler O'Neill? Because I think you could deal either one of those. I think it's Tyler O'Neill. And I I think he would be the guy. Like if you were to, to rank the guys in the outfield right now in terms of their, their trade value. So I'm going to go O'Neill and like Carlson's not getting traded that we, we know that, but O'Neill Bader, Donovan Yepes, I think O'Neill probably has the most value of all of those guys. I think Yepes would be second though, because of the amount of club control that still remains for him. I think there's just a very specific team that would want to take on. And now with the injuries, a guy like Harrison Bader, I love him. I think he's more valuable though to the Cardinals than, than he would be in a trade. For Katie Wu had Alec Burleson as the trade candidate on the athletic earlier today too. So he's the other name that pops up with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If the Cardinals do go big game hunting for a pitcher, who is the guy that they should be looking at? We'll talk about that with Eno Saris coming up at one 30 coming up next six, five, seven, eight is the air cup for service text line for more likely to happen here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. That was bad. I, I coughed before. It was what not going to be good. That was not going to be good. 65780 is the Air Service this. text line for more likely to happen. Eno Saris is going to join the show the coming show up right here there. in about 10 no, minutes or so. Uh, we were just looking back because we were talking about revisionist history, right? With the if I could turn back time. Sandy Alcantara right? deal. I, I could do it. We, we went back and because all offseason we were talking about which relievers the Cardinals could acquire and 
We're looking at some of them and how they've done relative to our expectations. Most of the guys that we thought would be good signings for the Cardinals have actually turned out to be pretty good elsewhere. Uh, so that's a little bit frustrating given what the Cardinals signings this offseason have done. But I wanted to turn that into a more likely to happen for you guys. More likely that the Cardinals at the trade deadline trade for somebody that we believe to be an elite arm in the bullpen or an elite arm in the rotation. So like a front end starter or a guy that factors into their high leverage innings out of the bullpen. I think it's more likely for a front end starter. And I, I, I'm I'm putting Madison Bumgarner in this conversation. Some people might not agree with that, but I just think when you look at the pressing issues for this Cardinals team, it's that front end starter that changes your rotation and adds on to Michaelis and Wainwright and the players that you have in place. And it shifts guys to be more impactful in the bullpen. I think you can kill two birds with one stone in that trade. So that's where I think it's going to be the front end starter. See, I would lean towards more likely the, the elite arm out of the bullpen, just because that's going to cost less. The, the elite arms are so many of them that are on bad teams. I mean, we just ran through the list and some of those guys on that list are on like the angels. You've got uh, like uh, Dave Robertson, who's on the Cubs who are on these cheap deals. Alex Colme over in Colorado. So that's my guy. I, I think it, I think it's signed be, for nothing. You got him. You could have had him for free. Basically. We got Drew Verhagen. Yeah. And Nick Whitgren. Yeah. And, and TJ McFarland. McFarland and Corey. Oh, wait, he's not a pitcher. Well, uh, but I, I think it'd be more likely the elite arm out of the bullpen, just because it's probably going to cost less because there's more of a surplus of bullpen arms that you see dealt at a trade deadline every year compared to the high-end starters. I mean, high-end starters, we're talking like Luis Castillo, not a real option for you. You're talking about uh, Merrill Kelly slash Mad Bum in Arizona, and you're talking about Frankie Matas. I mean, that's really the high-end starting pitching market, unless there's somebody I'm forgetting. Uh, but those four, th- three of those four, I-, I just can't see the Cardinals pulling off what it's going to take prospects-wise to make it happen. I don't think they're going to trade for an elite reliever. Like I would just, I would be really surprised if they end up going out and acquiring one of those guys because the prices are always higher than you expect for those top end relievers. I think they'd be more likely to trade for one of those starters just because I think that they have more control on them for most of them. Like a lot of these guys that we're talking about, it's basically a two month rental. And John Mozeliak is not typically the type of GM or president of baseball operations that's going to give up significant prospects for two months of a player. I think he'd be more likely to go out there and to get a, a, I don't think it's going to happen, but a Frankie Montes who factors into the rotation next year when they have a lot of questions about what their rotation is going to look like. We just talked about it. Like you got so many guys in your system right now. Like if you can get a legit guy who's got background and can fix your rotation, it makes more sense to pull that deal. 65780 is the air covered service tax line from the 636. More likely the Blues re-sign Nick Letty or trade for Jacob Chikrin. Trade for Jacob Chikrin. I I think Nick Letty's just going to price himself out of St. Louis. I, I think... If you're Nick Letty, and no, I mean, no disrespect to the guy. I mean, he should do this after the or the end of the year he had with the Blues. You're 31, 32 years old. You might be able to get yourself a four or five year contract worth four or five million dollars. And if you're Doug Armstrong, I just don't think you're going to go to that puke point with Nick Letty. I think there are other options that can provide what Nick Letty has. So I say it's more likely they trade for Chikrin. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's more likely they trade for Chikrin just because if if you're going to make any changes to this team, because I don't think you should run it all the way back. 
I think you're going to make a change that needs to be a big, big change, and I think that big change is Jacob Chikrin. Go get that elite guy that can play on the left side defensively with a Colton Preco. And like Alex said, I don't know if you're going to play in the market for Nick Letty because he can still get a very good deal. I mean, he's one of the top guys on the market, which is kind of hard to believe I'm actually saying, but he is when you look at the free agent market, and he did his job. He was acquired to basically sure things up for this year's cup run. They didn't get to the cup. It didn't really work out. He did a good job for the Blues. He did exactly what they were expecting. You don't really need to bring him back. He did what he was supposed to do for them. I think I agree with you guys. And I think we kind of know at this point, we've talked to so many different insiders and people in the in the hockey world that all seem to agree. Like, we know what it's going to cost to get Jacob Chikrin. It's going to be a first-round pick. It's going to be a prospect that you don't want to give up. They're probably going to ask for Jake Neighbors first. When you say no, they'll say, okay, Bolduke or Perunovic, most likely Bolduke. And then you go from there and you probably include a Barbashev in there. Maybe you have to throw in more because there are multiple bidders that are going to be in on that conversation. I, I think it's more likely that they end up with Jacob Chikrin. What I'm curious about is when does that happen before the draft during the draft or do they wait until after that? Because next year's draft is seen to be have better talent. That's why I them. thought it might wait till after the draft because of what we heard from. I don't remember who it was that told us that, but it was, when it was said that next year's draft is viewed as deeper, then I think you don't have to necessarily get it done before I think so the too. draft. I think we're still a couple of weeks away from that kind of a move potentially happening. I don't think it happens prior to next Thursday. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. I like this one. More likely to be in the trade talks this offseason. Mike Trout or Shohei Otani? Did you see Mike Trout yesterday? Yeah. He was yeah. so mad. So apparently their starting pitcher, I, I think it was their starter, was tipping his pitches. And Mike Trout... In the outfield, while the game was taking place, was motioning to his starter, hey, I can see what you're doing when you're tipping these pitches and tried to, like, correct it in real time. I'm not sure I've seen that happen uh, in the moment before. He's got a lot of money and a lot of years left. I think frustration is really setting in for Mike Trout. I really do. Can you blame him? No, I can't. And I, I, I forgot who we talked to. Was it Buster only who said he doesn't see Mike Trout? It was somebody who we spoke to a couple weeks ago who said that's not going to happen. I, I just don't know with Mike Trout. Like you've played this long with an organization that just continues to struggle. And I saw you tweet out somebody who put a tweet out that basically said, I see every night Mike Trout and Shohei Otani are doing something that hasn't happened since Babe Ruth and the... Angels lose to the Athletics by five runs. I saw, Here's it, the tweet. Every time I see an Angels highlight, it's like Mike Trout hit three home runs tonight. He raised his average to 538, while Shohei Otani did something that hasn't been done since Tungsten Arm O'Doyle of the 1921 Akron Groomsmen and the Tigers defeat the Angels 8-3. to But you're, tell, but you're telling me that Mike Trout's not going to one out? Like, I get it. He loves the team. He's, he's dedicated to the team. But you also play, if you're one of the best players in the history of the game, to win World Series, and you are getting past that prime. So last night was the actual, like, moment where that became reality. Mike Trout homered last night. Shohei Otani was 3-for-3 three three with a home run, two doubles, and a walk. And the Angels were losing at that point in time 10-4. to four. Yeah, he go. He go. I do think for what it's worth, I actually think it's Shohei Otani that's more likely to be in the trade talks. I don't think that's the right way to go about it, but I think Mike Trout probably ends up... He's the franchise player, right? He's got a no-trade clause. He's he's signed long-term. There's not a whole lot that he can do. They've got to figure out what to do with Shohei Otani because he's going to want $40-plus million per year, probably more than what Scherzer got on an AAV. 
and they've still got Rondon on that deal for four more years too, where he's making $35 million a season. I think it's more likely that Otani is in the conversations. He's got New York Yankees written all over him. Yeah, I, I think it is more likely that it is Otani just because Trout's got the big contract. Otani's going to be a free agent after next year. They can get some assets for him and then kind of try and rebuild around Mike Trout somehow. Uh, <laughs> You've been I, trying to rebuild I, around I, Mike Trout for yeah, the last I, 10 I years. It. But I mean, honestly, I don't... Th- Mike Trout doesn't scream the guy that would get... I mean, look, last night, yes, we saw it in the outfield, and clearly there's frustration there. He doesn't scream a guy to me that would say, you know what, I want out of my contract. I want to go play but for somebody Mike else. But if Mike Trout... I mean, I'm getting $37 million. Understandably I don't care so, but at some point, I think you want to start trying to actually make the playoffs and win, and you've seen your general manager, your front office, always make terrible I, signings I get and it. not have success. I get it. I do think that the front office change that they made in the previous uh, couple years, I think that does play into giving Trout a little bit more patience because the guy that's running the team now, I can't think I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Perry. I forget his last yeah, name. Yeah, he, he's, not, he's not the guy that signed the Justin Upton contract, the... Uh, Josh Hamilton contract. That guy is gone, and he's been aggressive in terms of moving on from contracts. I mean, they DFA'd Justin Upton this year when he was hitting like 300 in spring and making $18 Albert million. Dollars. They DFA'd Albert Pujols well, with a year left on his contract. Yeah, so but it's not the way you treat your they, franchise players. They've been I think more, that might actually be a mark against him. See, I think it helps for, him because they've Trout. been much more aggressive moving on from bad contracts to fry, free up more that, space. Trout was pissed. When well, yeah, Trout loved Pujols. He loved Pujols, but I, like the Upton one, like I, I understand what they're doing. Yeah. I understand what yeah. they're doing. They're a trying to clear move, the books. Good move for Upton. Guy's hitting 120 right now for <laughs> Seattle. Yeah, he stinks. Hey, the 101 ESPN app is loaded this month with a ton of awesome giveaways. If you already have the app, check out the reward section. Don't let these go by without checking them out. If you don't have the app yet, download it. Get registered to win. You could win a portable Traeger, a rolling Yeti cooler, a signed Ryan O'Reilly jersey. So much more available all on the 101 ESPN app. Help us out with App Madness this month as we're trying to beat up on 105.7. The point once again. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're hitting the rewind. But next, Eno Saris is as good as it gets when it comes to breaking down pitching in Major League Baseball. What does he think of the Cardinals' current rotation? And who does he think is out there that could help them for a reasonable cost? We'll ask Eno next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Group and Celebrity Line to be joined by Eno Saris. You can find his work over at The Athletic, where he writes about baseball. He's among the best in the business when it comes to breaking down pitching. Follow him on Twitter at Eno under Eno Saris, excuse me, on Twitter as well. Eno, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's uh, middle of the season. I this is uh, when the team starts separating and. Uh, and the Cardinals are right there in the mix. They've been doing pretty well, all things considered, this year. And it's been the young guys that have really stabilized things, especially on the offensive side of things. You know, I wanted to ask you about their rotation right now because Jack Flaherty, uh, we don't really know how severe this is or how long he's going to be out. But at least the next 15 days uh, with the dead arm and they, they called it shoulder stiffness. We'll see what that holds for the, the Cardinals. But as you look at their rotation right now, how do you assess what they have available to them? I think they need help. <laughs> uh, they're they're ranked 22nd 
um, among starting rotations uh, so far on fan graphs. And I think that just about uh, sums it up. And, you know, Palante's doing his best and uh, Dakota's, you know, doing pretty, pretty good. But, you know, I think when we saw when Matthew Libertor came up, uh, the back end of the rotation is not ideal right now. So with that being said, you know, let's start with the guy who was supposed to be the ace. What's the concern level? Because you know pitching better than anybody. What's the concern level with what Jack Flaherty is dealing with this time around? Yeah, it's not good uh, to hear, you know, some disagreement about when he should have come up. Um, and uh, and then, you know, I have a, a metric that looks at a pitcher's stuff. Um, and uh, 100 is average. Uh, Flaherty was showing 87s uh, when he went in those two starts. So his stuff was much much reduced. Um, and I'm I just I'm not sure if that's going to come back this year or next year or ever. Or like you know what the what the deal is there. I think you kind of I think you kind of have to make a plan where he's you're not depending on him. You know, I just think that's honestly what you got to do because to have him to have the setback uh, with the story behind it, um, you just you can't depend on him uh, going forward. I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying, like, I'm not saying that you can't depend on Jack Flaherty ever. I'm just saying if you were planning this team, you'd have to say, what can we do? You know, let's let's if we get Jack Flaherty back, that's great. But let's what can we do otherwise? That's kind of where we're at as well. You know, I mean, we, we look at where you're at schedule wise, too. And that kind of plays into this where you're just you're running out of runway. You were supposed to be able to see what he looks like with the a full workload going into the all star break. And then you've got another couple of starts potentially prior to the trade deadline. And then, you know, OK, this is what we're working with with Jack. We can work around that. Well, now you're off for the next 15 days at a minimum. We'll see if he takes a rehab start after. After that, that pretty much takes you up to the all-star break. You might get one or two starts where he's on a reduced workload prior to the deadline. And then you're just betting on hope at that point in time. So, you know, if they end up going the route that we're talking about, where they have to say, okay, we can't have him as a big part of our planes at the front end of the rotation. We've been saying they kind of need somebody to factor into that top three with Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaelis, somebody else that can fit in there in your playoff rotation. If this team gets there, are there guys that you think could become available that would make sense for the Cardinals in that top three of the rotation. You know, I'm locally here in Northern California. And so we're, you know, I was just debating with a, with an old uh, uh, writer who's been here forever um, about Frankie Montas and, you know, when would he be available and when would he be traded? And he reminded me that uh, there were miles and miles of ink, um, you know, spilled basically talking about when Sonny Gray would be traded. And there were all these Sonny Gray uh, trade packages, trade ideas. When will Sonny Gray? Blah, 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 blah. And it kind of it went down to the last minute, and he was traded in his last, I think his last season of control, or maybe he had one more season. Um, and so, you know, I do know that in the past, the A's have tried to win every year. And so you could see Montas and Sean Murphy as sort of building blocks for next year, try to use this year to figure out who's going to be there and then spend a little bit of money next year. However, the whole thing with the stadium makes this seem like it's not business as usual in Oakland. This is the lowest they've ever spent uh, on, on their roster. 
and the least they've ever spent on the roster. And so I think Montas should be available. It was a long-winded way of saying maybe Frankie Montas, and then maybe somebody on the Marlins. Um, you know, but uh, you know, people are saying Pablo Lopez maybe. Uh, that'll cost a little bit more, I think. Well, and that's where I was going to go at with with uh, Montas. You know, do you look if if you're a Cardinals fan and you're wanting the Cardinals to make that trade for Frankie? Do you look at the Sean Mania trade and kind of go off of okay, that's what it's going to take, or do you think it's going to be more? Oh, I believe Mania is a free agent at the end of the season. Yeah, this is the final year of control for him. Oh, it's the final. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and Montas has one more year, so it's going to be more. It's going to be more, and then Pablo Lopez. Um, is a free agent. I think there's even more uh, control on him. Um, yeah, he's a free agent in 2025. So uh, you're basically looking at, like, you know, like, do we spend a, a, this much for Montas or this much more for Lopez? The the problem is beyond that, I don't, I, I there's not a ton of uh, names that come forward. Like I, the Orioles just don't have that much pitching that's available, you know, and the White Sox are still fighting to stay in it. Um, maybe the Tigers have a pitcher you like. Are uh, you believing in Martin I, Perez and what's <laughs> happening this year for him? Because he was the only other guy that we kind of identified. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't go that far uh, for him. I wouldn't. I, I think that he'd be fine if you thought that, like, if you did think that Jack was coming back and you just wanted to have someone uh, in the meantime uh, or someone to join the back end. Uh, as like a fifth starter, that's uh, that's where I see Martin Perez. Because Mar- as much as Martin Perez's um, you know surface stats look good right now, this is he did this last year where he had a two ERA in the first half um, and he looked amazing. He had a seven ERA in the second half for Boston last year and he was left off the playoff roster. And there's if I'm looking under the hood, I just don't see anything he's functionally doing different than last year. You're in Oakland, so you would know more watching day-to-day and understanding this guy's history than we do. Is Paul Blackburn real, or are these numbers a mirage for him? <laughs> I find it I find it very difficult. I, 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 You know, this isn't easy, you know, trying to figure out if a pitcher is good. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's hard. It's really thing. hard. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you that, like, my model – does not uh, think you know, have a model that looks at stuff and, and location and tries to you know pull that out. Uh, Blackburn does not look great in that model. He has a an above average cutter uh, and a, and an above average slider, but he doesn't use a slider very much. So it's above average cutter, and then every other pitch is basically around average. The nice thing is he does have five pitches, you know. And I've heard that you know pitchers that have a good four seam and sinker combination. Uh, that they can be uh, particularly difficult to face because you can play those two hard pitches off each other. So, you know, he's an okay pitcher. You know, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway because that's what Cardinals fans are bringing up. Madison Bumgarner, is he cooked? (laughs) Ah, he's an interesting one. Uh, You know, there isn't anybody who's uh, got more of a red ass than him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was trying to come up with another way to say it. He's very competitive. <laughs> um, I, I feel like he's going to get the most out of out of his stuff. And so when I look at the model and say, okay, he's got like 90-ish stuff and then good command and looks like about a league average pitcher, he might be the kind of guy that you could pick up 
for not much, and then he would give you that competitive spirit uh, and be a tr- uh, be a number three, even though his you know his stuff isn't what it used to be. So, you know, I just got to bring this text to the conversation because somebody just texted in on our text line and they said, why are we entertaining just average pitching? We've got to try to be thrilled with that. That just straight up sucks. I just looked at the upcoming free agent market on the starting pitching side. That's just where we're at right now. There's not a lot (laughs) of upper level pitching that you can go trade for that you get excited about. And then the flip side is, let's say you do, let's say Pablo Lopez would be somebody to get excited about, right? Mm -hmm. And there's years of, con- of control and he'd be a frontline guy and you'd be super excited about that. It will take something that hurts, you know, in terms of, of prospects and like uh, Nolan I'm Gorman to, would be their starting point, right? I mean, would it be, I don't know, but uh, like if you don't put Nolan Gorman in, what are you putting in? I mean, it, maybe you could put something together where you use some actual major league young guys, you know, like, I don't know. Would like Yepes be a starting point? They want bats. It'll it will have. What about to be a if bat. the Cardinals said, you know what? We've got a lot of outfielders right now, and uh, I don't even know because of the club control that Tyler O'Neill. If he would he be a starting point that would be of interest for other teams? Um, that's an interesting one. I I do think so. Yeah, it, it'd be really funny because they. They traded Marco Gonzalez for Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, they could uh, use Marco then, Gonzalez then right now. Yeah, say, can, they, can they redo that trade? <laughs> I I think that Tyler O'Neill is really, really good. And last year he had some of the best bad ball quality in the in the league. Um, and then you saw what could happen when he came back between IL stands in June. He was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's really good again. So I don't know if – I think um, – but it's fewer years of control. So, like, Dylan Carlson you have for longer. Um, and maybe Dylan Carlson, the, the ceiling is lower, but the floor is maybe higher, mm-hmm. right? Because we're, we're seeing the floor maybe for Carlson right now. So I, I think that might be interesting. I think that's why – I think if you do get Pablo Lopez, it's going to take it, – it's going to take someone off the major league roster or it's going to take, like, you know, I don't think they're going to want to trade Jordan Walker or Nolan Gorman. So – you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. But that's what I'm talking about in terms of pain. Like, do you want Pablo Lopez? Do you want him Jordan Walker bad? No, 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 no. God, and, no. and I can tell you right now, the Cardinals. I can I can promise you, do not want him Jordan Walker bad. Final question exactly. that I've got for you, Eno. Uh, let's go back to Frankie Montes because he's he's the guy, right? Like, the, when you're looking across the market, he's the one that fits everything the Cardinals need. When you're looking at it from Oakland's perspective, and they're kind of in a different place from the Miami talks that we were just discussing, is there a deal to be made there with the Cardinals? Like if the Cardinals said up front, because I, I can tell you this would be probably their perspective, Walker, Gorman, Herrera, win. we're not trading any of them. Is there a deal to be made off of that point with Oakland? I think so. I think so, because um, the Oakland needs so much, you know? Um, and, and I think you could put together and they also Oakland really loves players that are in the big leagues or just about to hit the big leagues. So I think you could put together something where you put together one of your back end starting pitching, uh, guys that's young and has a lot of years of of control team control left. Maybe one Yepes, you know, where you're giving them a good bat. They can figure out what position he plays. Um, you know, something where you're not giving up your, your a plus guys. Uh, you're you're dealing right below that, and and you kind of give them quantity because the Oakland needs quantity. So I do think Montas is the most 
possible. But I also know that I probably everywhere else that wants a starting pitcher is saying, you know what? I bet you Montas is a little bit easier to get. <laughs> You know, final one from me, and I'm going to go back to the Cardinals pitching side because my co-host and I get into a lot of arguments over this. Oh, boy, good luck with this one. He ain't the guy to ask about your guy. <laughs> you know, who is Dakota Hudson? Oh, my God, no. <laughs> no. I, I, my model does not like him at all. Yeah, well, my co-host he, doesn't uh, either. <laughs> and, you know, but it's not just uh, my stuff model, which, you know, hey, that's, uh, you know, that's science stuff. Who cares? The other metrics don't like him either. There's uh, one of the most powerful metrics in season is strikeouts minus walks. He has uh, a 3% strikeout minus walks. League average is 14%. So Oof. he's barely <laughs> striking out people more than he's walking. Another thing, the whole league wants strikeout rate. He has a strikeout rate that's half the league average in terms of strikeout rate. Uh, you know, there's a thing called uh, Sierra, which is it's it's like a, a an ERA estimator. It says he should have a five ERA. It's on Fangraphs. Uh, you know, FIP is another uh, you know estimator. Uh, his FIP is four and a half, uh, and yet he has 330 career innings with a 330 ERA. <laughs> yeah, all right, let's go. <laughs> what? I don't get it. The one thing I will say is that. His career is almost uh, like season to season. It's almost like a collection of small samples. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You, you have the one season in 2019 where, you know, he struck out more batters and uh, he was healthy for a full season. And every other season is like 30 innings, you know, 10 innings, 80 innings. So I, I don't think we actually know. And this is what I was talking about earlier. It's difficult. We don't, I don't think we actually know Dakota Hudson's true value right now. You know, so it's, it is worth debating. Maybe he's the guy that they trade to get Frankie Montas. No, and then you can on. watch him day to day, you know, and you can figure it out for yourself. <laughs> so I don't have to talk about it every day. You know, it, it's always great to talk with you, man. Thanks so much for giving us a little insight into what is obviously going to be an interesting and maybe frustrating uh, trade deadline here in St. Louis. Uh, we look forward to talking with you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Eno Saris joining us here on 101 ESPN. Again, one of the best in the business. Check out all of his work over at The Athletic. We've got a giveaway. Your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, Joan Jett, and the Black Arts. It's all coming up on July 5th at Bush Stadium. Tickets on sale now. You can check out more information at 101ESPN.com if your text are number 101 right now. And you can tell us what the mode of transportation was that we discussed today in the junk drawer. If you can tell us what the mode of transportation was in your text number 101 at 65780. You are the winner of a pair of tickets to see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett coming up on July 5th. All right, we got to get out of here. We're going to end a little bit early so we can get over to the fast lane uh, because we went very long there with Eno. But Alex, when we talk about that and what the trade options are at the deadline for the Cardinals, Man, it, it feels <laughs> it's like it's Frankie. Mo- is it Montas? Uh, he he listens. He sees them all the time. It must be Montas. We've been d- saying I his name like Arenado. Look, I just found out the other day that Andre Palante's first name is not Andre, so <laughs> I don't really know names anymore. I've given up on that. Um, it, it's gonna be really hard for the Cardinals to get one of those top end starters. But if but if if he said it can be done without giving up Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman, Mason Winter, Yvonne Herrera, is it really that hard? 
I think the problem is when everybody gets involved. I mean, yep. on the outside, it's easy to say, yeah, okay, well, they, well, yeah, we can pull that deal off. But if off. the Cardinals, I, I mean, I guess that comes down to desperation because if the Cardinals aren't willing to give those guys up, there are other teams going to be willing to give guys up, and some teams will. So what they might be looking for is instead of the quality, so instead of that top-end guy, instead of getting Matthew Liberatore, maybe they're okay getting Michael McGreevy, Alec Burleson, Malcolm Nunez, and a low-way player Rather right than the top guy, maybe they want to throw numbers at it where you exactly. just get a bunch of You get good four, guys. four guys from 10 to 30 in the Cardinal yeah. system as opposed to one in the top five and one in the bottom 10. And maybe, that kind of and maybe that's how this trade needs to go because maybe Oakland, like Eno said, like they're in such a, a crappy spot to begin with. They need everything. So maybe rather than a team coming and saying, we're going to give you one, our best prospect, yeah, but we're going to give you four or five of our really good prospects. Maybe that's how you get the deal done. And the nice thing for the Cardinals is that teams can look at their system and look at what they've already produced this year and say to themselves, okay, there is a, a a clear formula on how they're doing this, and they've got guys that have translated to the big leagues, whereas a lot of teams right now, like you look across the state lines uh, to, to over to Kansas City. Man, they can't develop any pitching. The Cubs, they, they haven't developed pitching. Yeah. Teams really struggle in doing that. Meanwhile, the Cardinals have developed a ton of it. It might not feel that way sometimes, but they've done a really good job with developing pitching. Uh, so maybe that's something that could be of interest for the A's. It's going to be really hard. And he, he did say... You know, as much as the stuff is not necessarily there for a guy like Mad Bum, he gets the most out of it. He sold me more on Mad Bum, but you also have to consider, does Mad Bum want to get traded? And that's the tough and part. And that's going to be know. the toughest part with all of this. On the plus side, he's a big fan of your guy, Dakota Hudson. All I heard him is just throw numbers at me, and none of that matters. Because that Did man- he win and does he produce? Does he reduce the runs that are allowed on the opposing side? All he does. I, all he I does. know is he said three percent compared to fourteen percent, and that seems bad. That hurt me. It seems bad. It's fine. He's great. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. We will be back tomorrow. By the way, that's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane is coming up next on 101 ESPN. <laughs> That was bad. I, I coughed before. It was what not going to be good. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.